Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we pick six occasionally catastrophic movies that fall under one common theme. This is Season 5, The Old Men in DC, a title I still think is perfect. We give you some insight behind how, when, where, and why each movie was made. And on top of that, at no charge to you, our valued listener, you get a full review of the movie from me, Bo Ransdell, and my old pal, Chad Cooper. This is episode five in our smorgasbord of comic calamity, 2004's Catwoman. How did a pretty cool anti-hero go to the dogs? Meow, don't get me started. I'll leave it up to Chad to tell you all about this feisty feline. Cats. Sorry, everyone. Here's Chad. On May 16, 1929, at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, a gathering of 270 people got together to celebrate the best Hollywood had to offer with the first Academy Awards presentation. Fifteen statuettes were awarded for work completed in the prior year, and the entire ceremony took 15 minutes. Fifty-two years later, in 1981, on the night of the 53rd Academy Awards, At a potluck dinner at a house in Los Angeles, J.B. Wilson invited his friends to give out random award presentations in his living room. The impromptu award ceremony was a success, well, as successful as a slapdash potluck dinner movie award ceremony among friends can be. But J.B. Wilson was a copywriter and a publicist by trade. And what do publicists do? Well, they send out press releases. And that's what J.B. Wilson did. The week after the ceremony, Wilson sent out a press release about the awards, and what do you know? A few local newspapers picked it up. The following year, Wilson watched a double feature of Can't Stop the Music, which featured the talents of the village people, and the romantic musical fantasy film Xanadu, starring Olivia Newton-John and Gene Kelly. Inspired by the quality of these two films, Wilson made the decision to formalize his event. And in 1982, The first Golden Raspberry Awards were held for a crowd of about three dozen people. And Can't Stop the Music was awarded the Razzie for Worst Picture. And the event was covered by the Los Angeles Daily News. The event slowly grew in popularity and notoriety. And three years later, CNN and some other newswires showed up to see what all the stink was about during the fourth Golden Raspberry Awards ceremony. That same year, Lonnie Anderson and Jim Neighbors were nominated as Worst Actress and Worst Supporting Actor, respectively, for Stroker Ace, Plessy Season 1, Episode 2, for more on that film. Smart publicist that Wilson was, he realized that if the Golden Raspberry Awards were held before the Academy Awards, the ceremony would get more press coverage. Newsrooms were looking for something to talk about during the lead-up to the Oscars, celebrating the best of the best of the silver screen, and the Golden Raspberries were there to acknowledge the worst of the worst that American movie makers had to offer. The Razzies are named for the disapproving gesture of blowing a raspberry, and the statuette, which is reportedly valued at under five bucks, is a raspberry about the size of a golf ball perched atop of a smashed gold-painted Super 8 film reel. Now, receiving a golden raspberry is certainly a dubious honor, but for some in Hollywood, they leaned into the mockery and accepted their recognition with enthusiasm and self-deprecation, and oftentimes a sense of humor. 
Director Paul Verhoeven was the first to attend the Golden Raspberry Awards ceremony and accept his award in person. He proudly accepted not one but two awards, Worst Picture and Worst Director for Showgirls, and the audience gave Verhoeven not one but two standing ovations. Verhoeven was present to see his film win a total of seven Golden Raspberries that year. Beyond the two he accepted, Elizabeth Berkley won two Golden Raspberries, Worst New Star and Worst Actress, where she beat out Julia Sweeney in the film It's Pat. Please see Pick 6 Movie Season 2, Episode 3 on that one. Showgirls also won for Worst Screen Couple, which was awarded to any combination of two people in that movie. Note to self, review Showgirls. Verhoeven leaned into the heaping helping of Your Movie Stinks and said to the audience, I had the worst thing happen today. I got seven awards for being the worst, and it was more fun than reading the reviews in September. In reference to his film's release month, all the while smiling at the audience. But only a few people have been so brave. Tom Green showed up to accept five awards for his 2001 film, Freddy Got Fingered, which included Worst Actor, Worst Director, Worst Picture, Worst Screen Couple, and Worst Screenplay. Note to self, never review Freddy Got Fingered. America's sweetheart Sandra Bullock showed up to accept her award for Worst Actress in 2009's All About Steve, only to win an Oscar the following night for her performance in The Blind Side. But Sandra Bullock wasn't the first woman to proudly display an Academy Award and a Golden Raspberry side-by-side side on her mantle. Nor was she the first woman to accept her Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actress in Person. That honor went to Halle Berry after being nominated for and winning and personally accepting her Razzie for Worst Actress in 2004's Catwoman. The original Catwoman, and arguably most widely known version of the character Catwoman, is Selina Kyle, and she first appeared in Batman No. 1 in the spring of 1940. Now, at this time, she was known as the Cat and was an adversary of Batman. She was a burglar that carried a whip in a skin-tight one-piece outfit with an eye for high stakes. Catwoman is arguably Batman's most consistent love interest with a real love-hate relationship going on. When Catwoman first hit the scene, she was a supervillain outright, but in the 1990s, there was a real rise of the anti-hero across the comic book spectrum. The Punisher, Spawn, Wolverine, Deadpool, they were all characters doing arguably the wrong thing for arguably the right reasons. And it was here that Catwoman really transitioned from supervillain into more of an anti-heroine. Catwoman embraced a more personal code of honor, protecting the weak and kicking ass of the bullies in the DC universe, but only if it didn't get in the way of her making a buck or two. As Catwoman evolved on the printed pages of DC Comics, so too did the portrayal of her in live-action adaptations. Catwoman was portrayed by three different actresses during the television series Batman in the late 1960s. Julie Newmar was the first to play Catwoman in the first season of the Batman television series. Newmar didn't appear in the hastily produced and released Batman movie that came out in theaters right after the end of season one. Newmar reportedly didn't know that the movie was going to be made and had a scheduling conflict with another role. So producers asked Lee Merriweather to step into the catsuit for the movie. 
Julie Newmar returned for season two of the Batman television show, but didn't return for this third season due to another acting obligation to appear in the film McKenna's Gold alongside Gregory Peck. And for the third and final season, it was Eartha Kitt who stepped in to play the female feline villain. Producers felt that Kitt had a natural cat-like style about her, plus she had a real notable acting and singing career behind her. Casting a black actress as Catwoman completely ended any romantic storylines between Catwoman and Batman because this was, of course, 1969. After that, it would be over 20 years before Selena Kyle, or any version of Catwoman, made her way back to the screen, big or small, in any real notable fashion. After the success of Tim Burton's Batman in 1989, featuring Jack Nicholson as the Joker and Michael Keaton as Batman, it was most certainly determined that there would be a sequel. In this film, there would be not one, but two villains for the Cape Crusader with which to tangle, the Penguin and Catwoman. Danny DeVito was cast to play the Penguin because who else are you gonna cast to play the Penguin? But the role of Catwoman was up for grabs. It was reported that multiple actresses were considered for the role of Catwoman, including Nicole Kidman, Demi Moore, Madonna, and Jennifer Beale, star of The Bride, see Season 3, Episode 5 of Pick 6 Movies for more on that film. But it was Sean Young who really campaigned to get the role, going so far as to show up at the Warner Brothers Studios and eventually making her way to Tim Burton's production office without any prior warning in a homemade Catwoman costume to plead her case for an audition. Surprisingly, she was tossed off the lot. Not to be deterred, Young went on The Joan Rivers Show wearing the homemade Catwoman outfit to make her case for her to get the part for all the world to see. And her effort really paid off for Annette Bening, who was eventually cast to play Catwoman. But Warren Beatty showed up and put a baby in Annette Bening and she had to drop out of the film. With Sean Young presumably screaming loudly from across the street, it was proposed to Tim Burton that Michelle Pfeiffer may be interested in the role. Producers felt Pfeiffer could portray the meek, reserved Selena Kyle, as well as the bold, sexy Catwoman. In this adaptation, Selena gets pushed out of a high-rise window and is killed through a combination of gravity and the ground, but somehow is revived by a group of alley cats that chomp on her fingers. She goes on to become Catwoman. Remember, this is a Tim Burton movie. At the climax of the film, Catwoman kills a Christopher Walken by kissing him with a taser in her mouth. Batman this, Penguin that, and in the end, Catwoman is presumed to survive the <laughs> shocking conclusion of the movie. Her survival set the stage for a standalone Catwoman movie that would follow the character on her merry adventures, stealing jewels and hopping all over the place. Michelle Pfeiffer was set to return as Catwoman, and Tim Burton was initially attached to direct the movie, continuing his travels through the world of Gotham and the DC Universe. But reportedly, Burton was considering an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher as an alternate project to Catwoman. And we all know that there's one thing that's true box office gold, it's cinematic adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe short stories. Daniel Waters wrote the first draft of the script, Waters penned the preceding Batman Returns, as well as Hudson Hawk, starring Bruce Willis, and The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, starring Andrew Dice Clay. And his draft was a darker take on the character of Catwoman. Michelle Pfeiffer was initially interested in reprising her role, but motherhood and other commitments removed her from the project. Then the movie got stuck in development turnaround, with Ashley Judd reported to star at one point, then Nicole Kidman was going to step in. 
but it ultimately was Halle Berry, fresh off receiving her Best Actress Oscar for Monsters Ball, landed the role. Halle Berry was no stranger to portraying a superhero, having donned a cape as Storm in both the year 2000's X-Men and its sequel, three years later, X2. On top of those hits, Barry had appeared in multiple blockbusters including Swordfish, Gothica, and she was the Bond girl Jinx in Die Another Day. When the opportunity to play Catwoman arrived, Barry leveraged her recent successes to the tune of $12.5 million to appear in the film, and this marked the largest salary for a film that any African-American actress had ever received to date. And for that payday, Barry took the role very seriously. She reportedly spent a lot of time watching videos of cats to identify small behavior details that she could incorporate into her performance. Presumably, none of these included banging her paws on a piano keyboard or riding around on a Roomba. Ultimately, a choreographer helped Barry find a sense of movement that provided the character with a feline core. And speaking of her core, Barry got into insanely good physical shape. Barry took capoeira lessons, which is an Afro-Brazilian martial art that combines elements of dance, aerobics, and music. This training allowed Barry to do as much of her stunt work that the lawyers would allow. On top of all that, Barry spent considerable time learning how to safely and effectively crack a whip, Catwoman's weapon of choice. However, like most A-list movie stars, Barry wasn't allowed to perform all of her stunts and required the assistance of a stunt woman and at least one stunt man. Hawaiian actor Nito Larioza had a height and build, not to mention skin color, that was all very similar to Halle Berry. Larioza was trained in martial arts and knew how to run up a wall and do backflips. And based on all of these qualifications, into the cat suit he went after shaving down some of his body hair to make things look legit. Later in his career, Larioza would go on to do stunt work on other superhero movies including Man of Steel, Iron Man, and The Dark Knight Rises. No word yet on his potential appearance in the forthcoming Birds of Prey. Even with stunt doubles and all kinds of safety precautions, Barry did manage to suffer an injury on the set of Catwoman when she hit her head on some lighting equipment and had to go to the hospital. The injury wasn't too bad and she was released in under a day, but these types of onset accidents were not uncommon for Barry throughout her career. She had sustained injuries previously on Die Another Day and Gothica. She would go on to sustain future injuries while filming Cloud Atlas and The Call, proving that she's an actress who will, consciously or not, truly suffer for her art. Bringing Catwoman to the silver screen was the charge of second-time director Jean-Christophe Comar, or as he likes to be called, Pitoff. Pitoff made the French film titled Vidoc, starring Gérard Depardieu. Prior to his being attached to Catwoman, Pitoff had quite a list of visual effects work to his credit, including work on The Lost City of Children and Alien Resurrection, and Pitoff approached the film adaptation of Catwoman with a self-described unique interpretation of the character. In an interview with Superhero Hype, prior to the film's release, Pitoff said he was marginally influenced by the Catwoman comics. Pitoff said, quote, I checked out some to see how Catwoman is treated in the comics to make sure that our Catwoman was in the same vein, but I didn't want to be too influenced by the comic book because the whole point of the movie is to be first the movie and to be different. Different from the Batman, different from Spider-Man. This movie has its own identity. In other words, more artsy, less fartsy. 
An audience and critics responded to Pitoff's creative visions just as you would expect. Catwoman was a critical and commercial failure and all but ended the career of Pitoff. Once you get some big budget bomb stank on you, that is tough to wash off. My favorite review of Catwoman came from Pick 6 Movies go-to movie reviewer and returner to the Valley of Dolls, Mr. Roger Ebert. Ebert begins his review by stating, Catwoman is a movie about Halle Berry's beauty, sex appeal, figure, eyes, lips, and costume design. It gets all of those right. Everything else is secondary, except for the plot, which is tertiary. Keep in mind that Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire was released just one month earlier. And Spider-Man 2 is a superhero movie that pretty much gets everything right when it comes to the superhero movie. Ebert's inevitable comparison of Catwoman and Spider-Man 2 in his review includes his observation that the strength of Spider-Man 2 is the ambivalence that Peter Parker has about being part nerdy student and part superhero. Ebert asks of Catwoman, where are the scenes where a woman comes to grip with the fact that her entire nature and even her species seems to have changed? But you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's wait and discuss all of this when Bo shows up here in just a few minutes. Catwoman also features Benjamin Bratt as the hunky love interest detective Tom Lone. The villain of the movie, Laurel Hedare, is portrayed by the world's most famous leg crosser, Sharon Stone. Stone's character, Laurel, is married to George Hedare, played by French actor Lambert Wilson, who had recently appeared in The Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. Alex Bornstein plays best friend Sally. Bornstein is, of course, known as the voice of Lois Griffin on Family Guy, among many other roles. She's currently appearing as the gaslight club booker Susie Meyerson on Amazon's The Marvelous Miss Maisel, an incredibly good show that is much better than the movie Catwoman. Catwoman also gave us the first big screen appearance of Janet Varney as Party Girl. Varney is, of course, one of the stars of the recently canceled Dana Gould series, Stand Against Evil, on IFC. Yes, it's a real network. And everybody here at Pick 6 Movies loves Dana Gould and his podcast, The Dana Gould Hour. And by everybody, I mean Bo and me. In addition to human co-stars, the production brought in a whole mess of rescue cats as extras, one of which, named Plato, was adopted by Catwoman herself, Halle Berry. Well, that's nice. But in 2017, Plato died at age 16 from brain cancer. Well, that took a depressing turn, didn't it? I know what'll help right this ship. Let's talk about Britney Spears. Prior to Catwoman's release, it turns out Britney Spears had a forthcoming single, Outrageous, and it was decided by a bunch of incredibly well-paid people that this should be the theme song for Catwoman. There was a music video shot, as was the custom of the time, but Britney Spears pulled a classic Halle Berry, and she hurt her knee at the time the video was being filmed, so everything got scrapped. The theme song was swapped out with British girl group Mystique's hit song, Scandalous. Yeah, Scandalous by Mystique. Scandalous. You, you, you don't remember Scandalous? What, what about their hit All I Want? Can't Get It Back? One Night Stand? Shoo Shoo Baby? I can't be the only Mystique freak still around these days. Well, how about this? Certainly remember the promotional posters for the Catwoman IMAX release that read cat her in IMAX. Everything is better, I mean shockingly more expensive, to see in IMAX. Well, Catwoman was headed to the big, big screen. Keyword there, was, as in was supposed to be released on IMAX screens. But reshoots and other production challenges prevented that from happening. 
And that was just another thing that added to the list of things that went wrong prior to this film's release. In addition to all this, there was the release of the Catwoman video game. If anything from the early 2000s taught us is that movie tie-in video games are of the highest quality and best gaming experiences on the market. Or to say it another way, they're all garbage. One exception to the barrage of just brutal reviews of the Catwoman video game came from GameSpot.com that said of the product, Catwoman isn't a good game. Well see, it's not all completely terrible. Catwoman and pretty much everything associated with it turned out to be a bit of a disaster, garnering it negative critical reviews in just about every conceivable way. And Catwoman received the ultimate insult when it was given seven Golden Raspberry Award nominations in 2005, including Worst Supporting Actress, Sharon Stone, Worst Supporting Actor, Lambert Wilson, and Worst Supporting Screen Couple, Halle Berry and either Benjamin Bratt or Sharon Stone. At the awards ceremony, Catwoman co-screenwriter Michael Ferris accepted his award for Worst Screenplay, and original Catwoman Julie Newmar graciously received the film's Worst Picture Award. Catwoman's director, Beethoven, received the award for Worst Director, but he didn't attend the awards ceremony to accept his award in person. But you know who did attend to accept her award in person? Halle Berry. Berry proudly received her Golden Raspberry for Worst Actress, and took to the stage, holding the Academy Award that she had received just a few years earlier for Monsters Ball, with the same emotional weight given during her Oscar acceptance speech, Barry proudly exclaimed, Thank you so much. I never in my life thought I would be up here. She made a lengthy speech, which she later admitted to have spent a couple of days crafting, that parodied her 2002 Oscar acceptance speech. Barry thanked Catwoman's director, Beethoven and her manager saying, he loves me so much that he convinces me to do projects even when he knows that it is shit. And that's how you do it. You take your success along with your failures. You laugh when you fall and you be humble when you succeed. But what about Catwoman? Is the sexuality of Halle Berry enough to carry a superhero movie? Is the movie such a disaster that it should end the career of an up-and-coming director such as Beethoven? And are cat puns ever really funny? Well, there's only one way to answer these questions. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I give you 2004's Catwoman. Beethoven. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, and along with my furry feline friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Howdy. Hello, Bo. And by furry feline friend, I want to clarify that you dress up as a cat and have sex with strangers at a club. It's a paid membership, but it's still legitimate. Yeah, it's it's called Mouse, but it's spelled M-A-U-S. <laughs> it's very hip. It's we do it because it's cool, you know, Chad. I gotta say a little a quick cat story right up front. So you've met my cat Tully, but I had a mouse in the house, and sure enough, Tully came through, killed the mouse just a couple of days ago. I find a dead mouse right delivered right to the bedside, but I was kind of cool with it. I thought it was great. I got a mouser. Sounds like a rodent godfather scenario to me. Maybe he's sending you a message. <laughs> yeah, you're next, fat boy. <laughs> 
feline stories uh, are apropos, Chad, because we were talking about a movie I'd never seen before. This is one of those movies I thought I had seen. And then about halfway through it, I was like, oh, yeah, I ain't never seen this. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's Catwoman, sir. Let's start at the beginning. Our movie opens with a montage of hand-drawn illustrations and photographs from over the millennia featuring cats in various time periods and various people associated with them. And as we go from image to image, we travel around the globe and throughout time. And there is a lot of bad Photoshop going on here. There is this one cat that is an Egyptian Mao that is a particular breed of cat that we're going to learn about more a little later. And this cat keeps showing up in these images. A little later, again, we're going to find out why. But on first viewing, I kept thinking that the editor of this movie just kept interjecting their own adorable cat to get their cat into the cat version of SAG. Or maybe just to show their pet what mommy does at work all day. So when the two of them snuggle up and watch the DVD of this, she would be like, oh, look, catty purry. They're... (laughs) There you are up on the silver screen for all the world to see. You look absolutely perfect. You're a kitty superstar. Look at you up in lights. Who would have thought Caddy Purry would have made it into a major motion picture? You're so wonderful. I can hear it now. Starring Caddy Purry. Just wait till you get your name above the title, Caddy Purry. Oh, what a day that'll be. But the whole thing is like cat memes throughout time. People drew pictures of cats and shit way back in the Egyptian times. Who knew? And it's like, okay, cats are ever present. At the very start, there is some copy that says, Beloved, best mistress of happiness and bounty twin of the sun god. The copy's really paramount. And even though it's a Warner Brothers film. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be important to the movie. And it's not. And then we get Halle Berry's name. And then we see text that says, Cat mummies found among the ruins. You're thinking, (laughs) well, this is going to be important. It's not. And then we get more bad Photoshop of Caddy Purry sitting next to this woman's bare naked ass. And then finally, we get the movie's title, Catwoman, against a background of hieroglyphics where they basically took the same three lines of hieroglyphic icons and copy and pasted them one on top of the other. And honestly, I don't think these are real hieroglyphics. Or if they were, maybe they were like the song lyrics to Happy Birthday, thus explaining the repetition from one set to the next. But it just looked like sloppy, lazy Photoshop. All of this movie looks like garbage. Don't expect too much out of anything you're gonna see from here on out, people. Following the title, we bounce around a bunch of old-timey maps, and we go from Egypt to China, then we're in Rome, then England. Then we see these headlines about witches and devils and cat cults. My first thought was, what is a cat cult? Is that like a blue oyster cult? No, we called them book circles back when I was a kid, Chad. Just ladies who got together, chit-chatted about cats and books. Oh, Mr. Caddy Purry. Have you met our next door friend, Oprah Whiskers? <laughs> we were... <laughs> oh, I can't, oh, I can't start giggling already. <laughs> so, let's come back to the... Wait, hold on. I got one more. <laughs> we were gonna read Watership Down, but Mr. Caddy Purry kept chasing those rabbits. <laughs> Was it worth throwing on the brakes for that joke? You be the judge. <laughs> 
So back to the movie's credits. After we see all of these, uh, you know, warnings about witches and devils, we get these old timey newspaper headlines about jewels being stolen. And we see a headline that says masked jewel thief at it again. And then there's a woman wearing a black onesie and she has a whip and a mask and a little hat that looks more like a pair of adorable bear ears than a cat. And then we see another newspaper headline that says family rescued by masked woman in black. And there's another headline featuring someone named Christine No. Novak, a.k.a. the Flying Panther, in what truly looks like an advertisement for a post-World War II underground s and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a real Betty Page kind of look to all of this, where you're like, okay, the person being photographed here is about 15 minutes away from smacking or being smacked in a very erotic way. Well, it depends on which end of the smacking you are. Yeah, there are ways to enjoy it both ways. <laughs> we get more shots of Caddy Purry, badly photoshopped in a bunch of other old-timey photos, including being photographed with some aboriginal natives. And then we bounce to Russia. Then we make our way to New York City in the 1940s. And here we find out that Caddy Purry was imported by an exiled Russian princess. And I really cannot stress how bad the Photoshop work is in these opening titles. The font work, <laughs> the clearly overlaid bandit masks on top of these original works of art. It's just not very good. Like this would never pass muster in any real design class in college. Finally, we see a woman that looks like Mary Poppins and she's surrounded by more novice level Photoshopped Egyptian Mal cats on the city streets of New York. It's like they learned how to layer but not flatten. Hey, did you guys know you can put shadows under things from different angles? Gosh, there's opacity on the drop shadow. We can make this look so freaking cool. Uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, please, please, you're you're doing a terrible disservice to one Miss Catsy Klein and Cindy Clawford. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I don't have cat names in the barrel. Give me time. <laughs> the big focus of all of this is that, like, these Egyptian Mau Mau's are the super cats, where they just keep Photoshopping their way through time. Yeah, it's like, okay, they're magic cats. And I just want to say, as I was watching this, I was like, why are we doing this? Catwoman's perfectly fine. It's an interesting character. And I know that when you talk about Pitoff... <laughs> And his decision to have his own interpretation of Catwoman, that is the point where somebody should have been <laughs> saying, no, that is a terrible idea. The people who come to see a movie called Catwoman have a very specific idea of what it is they want to see in this movie. And it's the thing they just saw in the Batman movie. I think that is the biggest downfall of this movie, both the creative approach and then the context surrounding when it came out. So your point is absolutely valid that audiences expected a certain type of movie set within a certain universe, whether that is in Gotham, that they would make references to Batman. This movie does not feel like the Catwoman movie. It feels like a Catwoman movie. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's, it, it is this thing that is wholly separate, but knowing that it came out on the foothills of not only just the Tim Burton movies, but that you also had the Joel Schumacher films that came out. So there was an expectation of what would be going on. And then juxtapose that against the work that was being done in the two Spider-Man movies, a bar had been set very high. So to go in and see this standalone thing, one, it's not very good. And two, it didn't even attempt to meet the expectations 
expectations of what the comic book superhero movie going audience wanted to see. I will try to refrain from saying this too much, but the character of Catwoman is innately interesting to me because much like the Batman, she doesn't really have any superpowers or anything. She's just a cat burglar. She's kind of amoral and opportunistic. She's the, sort of the hooker with a heart of gold trope of, yeah, she is in the gray area legally, but she also tends to be more good than bad. It's a complicated character. It's an interesting character. And when we get into kind of what this movie is trying to do, I think you can still thematically do the same thing with that character. And it would actually be better and more grounded in something like reality and be a good movie. I, I, I wanted to say my piece about like, why didn't they do this? The, the, I, here's me fixing the movie up front just to be like, no, 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 just do the comic thing. It would have been a million times better, but now on with the shit show. So let's cut back to Sunset Boulevard where there's a body floating in a huge pool of water. And it turns out it's Halle Berry who's providing voiceover about how this whole story started on the day that I died. So you're like, well, all right, we got to go back and see what happened to led up to this. So let's go ahead and just get it going. Ugh. Yeah. As soon as you see this, like just as a modern viewer, you're like, oh, are we really doing this? Like, <laughs> I guess you're wondering how I ended up here. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake. All right. I, I counted. Now I got to wait 22 minutes to catch up to the thing that's coming. Great. Me? What? How did I end up here? Oh, my story? Oh. I was born a poor cat child. Drunk in the alley. <laughs> I'm not a bum. I'm a cat. <laughs> We cut to Halle Berry, and she's heading into her place of work in Gotham. Uh, I mean, New York. Uh, I mean, where are we? Philly, Chicago, San Francisco? Who knows? Cat City. Right? Halle Berry's on her way to work, and she's just banging into everybody as she goes into the building. She's real clumsy, and she doesn't pay attention where she's going. She voiceovers that by this time, she was supposed to be a successful artist, but instead, she was designing ads for beauty cream. Well, you know what, sweetheart? We all got dreams, and we got bills to pay, so welcome to the real fucking world. Also... She's talking about like, no one really notices me. It's like, in what universe? You are Halle Berry, one of the most beautiful women that has ever graced this miserable planet. Who, me? You look at just the radiance of her skin, Chad. It practically lights the scene itself. No one really notices me. And they try to dress her like she's like painting a penthouse or something. It's all baggy clothes, but they're slightly fashionable. And her hair's kind of messy, but it's still Halle Berry and it's really attractive. No one really pays attention. All right. Apparently you work in a school for the blind. <laughs> I, do you remember in Boomerang when she was Eddie Murphy's <laughs> ugly number two to the comparable radiant beauty of Robin Givens? Uh -huh. I like it when movies cast the most beautiful people you've ever seen to play the dour, who's that wallflower character? Right. How are we going to polish this turn? <laughs> Another good example was in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall when Hollywood heartthrob Jason Siegel wrestled with the emotional upheaval of getting over his being dumped by Kristen Bell by hooking up with me. Lacunas. Oh, that had to be tough, buddy. How are you getting along there, my man? If I were if I were Jason Siegel, and honestly, that's aiming real high for me. Then yeah, every day I look at Mia Kunis, I'm like, yeah, you're no Kristen Bell. <laughs> 
We cut to the art department of this cosmetics company where Halle Berry works, and it's all hustle and bustle. And here we meet Halle Berry's, let's call her best friend, Sally, played by Alex Borstein. And Sally's job at this place appears to be to just stand around and chit-chat with people. And to be sassy. <laughs> Sally opens up a canister of Buleine, the facial cream that's going to be the next big thing from this company. And Halle Berry asks, how did you even get Buleine? It's not even in production. And then Sally says, we have our ways. And then she wiggles her breast side decide i believe that this behavior was written into the script only because she says we in reference to herself and her breast had the script said i have my ways i don't think this performance would have gone the way that it did and there are numerous times in this movie where you can clearly see that this is a female driven movie that was written by a man a hundred percent this is sort of mansplaining the movie in a lot of ways of like listen ladies let me tell you how i'm gonna empower you first of all let me see your tits you mentioned that you had mixed reviews of the wonder woman movie and gal gadot's performance which i liked her portrayal of that character because she constantly has a look on her face of perpetual confusion when it comes not only to the world but more importantly to the idiotic men around her it's just a a continual stare of are you fucking kidding me but we're not talking about that we're talking about catwoman right that that's a movie that does a, a female hero portrayal right where yes she is the smartest person in the room and all that kind of thing and yeah this is all just condescending nonsense but (laughs) enough about that borstein has been using this magic cream and she's like oh i love it but it gives me headaches halle berry is like well then fucking stop using it she offers some to halle berry right why would you do that that is like giving bill de blasio platform shoes or offering a can of spray tan to wesley snipes do you do you need some beauty cream like what are you talking about? Like In her haggard, mousy state of portraying this character, Halle Berry, to your point earlier, looks like she is on her way to shoot a Maybelline television commercial. She is radiantly beautiful everywhere she goes. Right. You want some of this, Hugo? You really need to get laid. Borstein is shoving this in her face. I'm like, wait a second. For a fleeting moment, could this be a backdoor sequel to the movie The Stuff? <laughs> But sadly, Chad, it's not. My hopes were quickly dashed. Borstein touches her face at the exact same places that she just applied this cosmetic cream. And she says, you know, I got these headaches right here and here and here. And it's all tight and complicated. I wonder what's causing this, you know, which, you know, maybe it's all of my promiscuity with men or maybe I was trying to do a math problem. (laughs) Maybe it's just her period. Am I right, guys? Am I right? T-bone up top. That's my boy. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> idiots so i said i say idiots and that was directed just at men in general myself included <laughs> yeah 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 no there's look there's a lot of uh a lot of <laughs> self-hatred going on on pretty much all of these episodes let's go to the boardroom of the cosmetics company which looks just like the war room from dr strangelove but it's surrounded by 10 by 10 foot backlit portraits of sharon stone yeah she also looks great in this movie as well yeah it's like a situation room for models (laughs) they had a fashion emergency 
and had to convene. We get to meet George Hedair, played by Lambert Wilson. And George is married to Sharon Stone, and he runs this cosmetics company, I guess. Um, George announces that the company is about to release this product that reverses the effects of aging, and they show this woman with crazy wrinkled skin, and then she slathers some of this stuff on there, and now she's young and pretty. And then Sharon Stone stands up, and she interrupts George and says, uh, together we have decided that I'm going to step down as the face of the company and let this other person take over. Then George interrupts her interrupting by interrupting her and saying that this 20-year-old brunette is going to be taking my wife's place, essentially in every conceivable way, and then invites everyone at the board meeting to join them all for drinks. Then Sharon Stone interrupts George's interruption of her interrupting him by saying, hey, careful, George, she's not old enough to drink. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, this marriage is on the rocks. Right. It's a real passive-aggressive back and forth, a real tennis match of fuck yous. The silent fuck yous of marriage, Chad. The ones <laughs> the ones that only you know is a real middle finger to your partner. Um, <laughs> well, and I immediately thought that this model character, I was like, oh, well, Sharon Stone has this rival and she's going to be kind of a big deal in this movie. No, no, no. Why would they do something like that, logically? <laughs> Yeah, this movie really zigs when you think it's going to zag, and I guess I like that it's surprising. (laughs) Lambert Wilson's performance belongs on a soap opera. His head movements, like the way he snaps around when someone talks to him and his dialogue delivery, it really rests comfortably between an 8 and a 10. (laughs) For everyone who's never seen this movie, which is most people, Sharon Stone in it has this cropped, short, bleach blonde hairdo. She looks a lot like Annie Lennox. And when Annie Lennox had blonde hair, because for a while, Annie Lennox had red hair and she looked like Ziggy Stardust, but I digress. Mm -hmm. Halle Berry and Bornstein are walking down the hall at her work and Halle Berry, she's all worried because she's on her first league campaign. And Halle Berry goes into George's office to review the artwork. And unbeknownst to her, this meeting is taking place on the heels of that disastrous board meeting. Halle Berry goes in and George's office and he and Sharon Stone they're still having this passive aggressive back and forth and then George tells Halle Berry to sit like a dog which man this is a cat movie not a dog movie oh nice George begins just subjectively screaming about her artwork and the choice of red that she selected for this particular ad campaign and then he insults Halle Berry's clothes and tells her she needs a manicure and then Sharon Stone steps in and and tells her husband like hey man let her fix the artwork and at this point you're like oh Sharon Stone's gonna be a good guy which you know turns out later she's mean (laughs) if that were handled better it would be pretty good there's an opportunity for the relationship between you know Halle Berry's character and and Sharon Stone's character to actually be this kind of interesting sort of conversation almost about what it means to be a strong woman you know Sharon Stone representing the villainous idea of like no 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 you have to be punitive you have to destroy you have to yeah in the same way that a man would destroy so so do we uh, and Halle Berry wanting to be something more. They don't do anything like that. Yeah, instead, George says, yeah, you, he's like, you can fix it, but you got to have it to me by mm, midnight tomorrow. I don't know why he chose midnight. Why not normal business hours, like five or maybe eight, but right. midnight, like why not two in the morning? Like, like why not next Easter? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. What business, aside from illegal ones, <laughs> have you ever been a part of that are like, hey, you're going to turn in your assignment at midnight? <laughs> Let's cut to the exterior of Halle Berry's apartment, and it is now 4 a.m., and we get some nice hoobastank blaring loudly from some... (laughs) Is that really who it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, okay. I know that because I had my closed captioning on. Hoobastank is blaring loudly from some nearby asshole neighbor. And I'm not sure if there's any other way to hear Hoobastank other than blaring from a neighbor's apartment. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Whoever's <laughs> listening behind that door is a real jerk. You can count on that. Halle Berry, she goes over to her window and these neighbors are across the alleyway of her building. And then Halle Berry says, excuse me. Hi, I'm the... I'm the star of the movie. Could you, could you turn down your music just a little bit? Because I need to show that I'm passive and meek and there's no way anybody can hear what I'm saying and I'm just establishing my character. So anyway, I'm going back to bed now. I'm I'm the star. Goodbye. Right, and they're just like, suck it, Halle Berry. <laughs> <laughs> there was a middle finger that went along with that raspberry, just <laughs> FYI. This movie is incredibly PG as well. I don't know what it's really rated, but I, having watched it a couple of times now, there's no profanity there's one butt cheek at the beginning but it's artistic which you know titian swear to god titian and there's <laughs> but it, there's there's nothing in it that's really questionable there's no real blood or gore so you know bring the kids they'll be just as bored as you are well until they play basketball and then it's like hey cover the kids eyes for a second will you <laughs> anyway we'll get to that so Halle Berry she looks down at the window and who is sitting perched atop a motorcycle but Caddy Purry. Oh, look, she drove their next sidecar. <laughs> look at you, you're driving a little motorcycle, Caddy Purry. I photoshopped you into the movie. You're so, you're so adorable. I put some little goggles, just like your little German soldier, Caddy Purry, riding along the Ardennes. You're gonna, you're gonna truly be the, mech, the next Demi Meower. <laughs> you're a real Charlize Perron. Take that, Allie McClaw. <laughs> was that Allie McBeal or Allie McGraw? How's Allie McGraw? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I haven't heard the name. <laughs> Allie McGraw in 15 years. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> meow, 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 meow. Love means never having to say you're sorry, Caddy Purry. <laughs> These are deep cuts, man. <laughs> this is truly become an episode just for us. <laughs> I'm going to call my aunts and uncles at the retirement home tell them to listen. What? <laughs> There's a cat in here. Podcast. I got a shit. Hold on a minute. You're going fishing? I don't even know what relative I'm impersonating. All of them. I, all of them. Yeah, it's a amalgamation. So Caddy Purry's down on this uh, motorcycle, and then she looks away and she looks back, and then Caddy Purry is gone. And you're like, whoa, that's crazy. So it's the next day, and Halle Berry is up, and she's wearing the same clothes that she had on the day before to work, which is kind of funky. And then she's painting away on some project that looks nothing like the cosmetics campaign that she should be working on. And then Caddy Purry shows up at the window, and Halle Berry goes over, and she looks out, and now Caddy Purry is up on this higher ledge that's covered in a lot of bird poo. And here is what is truly the most implausible moment of this entire film and a lot of crazy shit happens <laughs> i'm even including the the inevitable resurrection of our main character Halle berry opens the window and then climbs out on this ledge of her three-story high apartment building and she just shimmies outside to go save this strange random cat right 
Right, she proceeds to end up standing on a window air conditioning unit, it's the only one on the whole building that we see, to go save this animal that she's never seen before, or that she's seen once or twice before. Right, an outdoor stranger's cat, which by the way is far more agile an animal than say a people's. So crawling on a ledge after a cat is about the dumbest thing a human being can do. And so when Benjamin Brett rolls up in a minute to be like, hey, there's a crazy person on the ledge. Even if you knew the backstory, it does not reduce the craziness of the act. Well, yeah. When, well, when he sees her, he immediately thinks that she's suicidal and that she's going to jump. And he gets out and intervenes with some velvet, smooth sexiness. He gets out of his car and he says, hey there, beautiful. It's me, TV's Benjamin Bratt from the hit show L.A. Law. What's a pretty little thing like you doing on that big, nasty ledge? And ha- Halle Berry's like, well, there was a cat out here. Cat? What cat? I'm sexy, single, good-hearted detective Benjamin Bratt. And these chocolate, brown, soft, beautiful eyes don't see any cat up there. <laughs> And he's right, because the cat's gone. And then the air conditioner starts to wiggle under Halle Berry's bare feet. She's going to die, most likely. And then Detective Benjamin Bratt says, Hey, what's your apartment number? And while you're at it, what about your phone number? And then Halle Berry's like, it's apartment 23. And then in literally under three seconds, we see about eight edits revealing Benjamin Bratt rushing in the building, up the stairs, down the hall. He kicks down the door, runs inside, and then grabs Halle Berry before she falls to her death, ending the movie, presumably before it would really get started. So he's a hero? Yeah. Also, he is, as you said, like the Flash. He just gets there in two seconds. As you said, it is immediately like, whoa, hey. Crazy lady, come on in here and set a spell. Caddy purrs inside Halle Berry's just gigantic apartment. It's a huge apartment. And Halle Berry tells Benjamin Bratt, she says, thanks for everything, but I'm late for work. And then she runs out the door, closing it behind her, leaving Benjamin Bratt to stand sexily alone in the hall. And look, man, Benjamin Bratt just kicked down her apartment door. That door would require extensive work, not to just close, but hell, hang on the hinges. Like that door is done for. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he sees that she's dropped her wall wallet and is immediately like well 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 looks like everything is coming up benjamin brett today now i've got her digits and her credit cards i have a theory that this is not a superhero movie i think that this movie is essentially a romantic comedy and what i wanted to walk through with you was a quick checklist of the key elements that are required for every romantic comedy and see if we have them in this film Uh Number one, the outer journeys of our two lead characters should oppose each other, but their inner journeys should converge. So his story is that, you know, he thinks she's this burglar criminal and then she's trying to figure out who who killed her. And they converge at the end. So we're good with that, right? I am with you so far. Another thing is that you have to move it from the bedroom to someplace exotic, like the jungle or some other genre. In this case, it's a superhero movie. (laughs) Yeah, all right. The sexy goings on in a different... Yeah, okay. You got to have a quirky best friend, preferably with an overly active sex drive. We definitely have that. In spades, sure. You have to make sure that the concept is a high concept. So that audiences will notice it. Yeah, how to lose a cat in 10 days. I'm with you. One character has to prove to another character that they aren't lying to the aforementioned character. So far, so good? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sweet home, Catabama. (laughs) 
<laughs> you have to use uh, one character's flaws against them in a comedic situation, misunderstanding, and comic reversals. So in this case, I'm going to go with the suicide scene we just described. Maybe it's not as comical, but it at least, you know, it's maybe doesn't completely fill in the hole, but it at least scribbles enough to where it's going to be picked up by the Scantron. <laughs> it, it's the drive to or from college, I can't remember, in When Harry Met Caddy. <laughs> you got to show a bit of skin or a lot of mm-hmm. skin. We definitely have that covered. You have to add rawness and authenticity to show the path of love is never smooth. We're going to get that on the back half. Ensure that your lovers work hard to be together, even though they hate or don't notice each other at first. I think Mm -hmm. we're good with that. And number 10, you have to have a happy ending. Is it a happy ending? Uh, You know, characters grow, they evolve. I mean, Benjamin Bratt is left with, you know, a gunshot wound at a coffee shop all by himself. So maybe he's sad, but come on, he's Benjamin Bratt. All he's got to do is cough and he's got, you know, six sets of digits waiting for him. Right. He's just like, look at this, ladies. I've been (laughs) shot. I'm dangerous. But this movie, up until the character of Catwoman shows up proper, feels like a romantic comedy. It's very much flustering. Is he going to like me? Is he not? Oh my gosh, I fell into his arms. Will he save me? I'll save him. It, yeah. It, it, but it, and I've never seen that done in a superhero movie. And you and I've talked about sort of the Marvel films and how in many different ways those movies have been able to carve out a certain type of genre, you know, where the Ant-Man movies are more like heist films, you know, that you have the Guardians of the Galaxy, which are a much more ensemble type of, They're like big space opera kind of stuff. Yeah. I've never seen the romantic comedy done as a superhero movie. And maybe Catwoman is blazing a new trail. Or maybe they just accidentally fell ass backwards into doing this. Because a man wrote a woman's movie and he was like, well, this is what women's movies look like. Let's do that. You know, she's got to find a man. (laughs) I mean, she's a little lady, ain't she? Don't she want to have a nice strong man there to take care of her? When Halle Berry drops her wallet and Benjamin Bratt picks it up, she's like four steps ahead of him. Like, she's still in frame. And he doesn't say anything, which like... Whoa, whoa, whoa there, Chad. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta let a little Benjamin simmer. <laughs> let, her, let her stew in the juices of that interaction. And then I show up with her money. She associates me, Benjamin Bratt, with a positive feeling of money <laughs> and intense sexuality. We cut back to the cosmetics company and here Sharon Stone is walking in. And again, she looks like a million bucks on her way. She sees the new young face of the company going up on the digital display, which is replacing her face, which awkward George, her husband comes in and they do some real close face talking about how their marriage is a sham and how Buleen works wonders on old hags like Sharon Stone. Uh, (laughs) I like what he's uh, what he's like, you know. Boy, you can't outrun Father Time, but you gave it a hell of a try, Sharon Stone. <laughs> and she's like, I'm 40. Oh, you're that old? Good God. Oh, we use the same toothbrush. Oh, my tongue feels gross now, Sharon Stone. During the scene, George says, I'm getting calls from our company's one scientist. Something about our flagship product rotting people from the inside out. Scientists, you have to coddle them like babies. No, like models is what he says. <laughs> Pointedly, because again, this movie is like, it portrays him as th- being this like horrible misogynist character. But the movie itself is just like, show me a little skin. 
<laughs> so it's a real mixed message we're getting here. We cut back to the art department of this company. And then a comically stereotypical gay guy just pops out of his cube and says, man, sandwich 12 o'clock as Benjamin Bratt comes sauntering in, which wouldn't a man sandwich be a manwich? I mean, it looks like a sandwich, tastes like a meal, but seems like the obvious choice. Also, you need a minimum of three ingredients for a sandwich. What I see is at best a man toast. Have you checked out Benjamin Bratt's buns? Man, when this dude popped up with his tiny little beard, it was like, man sandwich, 10 o'clock. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, Catwoman. This was not that long ago, but I guess it was. It was just, it was so unfortunate. His character is in the vein of the over-the-top gay guy. You know, some movies have the gay friend that is uh, is a, a fantastique. Uh, a bit over the top and some movies uh, they have uh, the the female friend that is sexually aggressive the cougar if you will stalking the jungle for young men my movie pitoff has both of these things together in these same scenes that <laughs> is pitoff's promise it stinks. Your f- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, when I channel Pitoff sometimes, it's, it's hard to come out. It's easy, man. Um, Sally, uh, she's peeking around and she's horny six ways to Sunday with Benjamin Bratt sauntering in. And he comes over to Halle Berry's desk and Benjamin Bratt introduces himself and he says that his character's name is Tom Lone. And Sally, Alex Bornstein's character, she immediately compliments the coolness of the name Tom Lone. And then she starts rhyming the last name with words that rhyme with Lone. She's like, you know, it's like cone or phone or bone. No woman would ever write dialogue for this in a screenplay. I was just happy that his name wasn't Tom Huck Me Farter. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, Danish. <laughs> Huck Me Farter. It is a real, like, boom, Benjamin Bratt. Am I standing in a puddle? <laughs> Gross. And of course, I mean, it's Benjamin Bratt. He's eating it. He's like, I'm picking up what you're laying down. See how things go with her. I'll get back to you in a few. <laughs> Benjamin Bratt creepily starts talking about how he noticed all the art in Halle Berry's apartment. And then he went to work and looked up two art facts so that he could spout them off when he returned her wallet. Benjamin Bratt apologizes to Halle Berry for earlier in the day when he mistook her for being a suicidal jumper. Yeah, that's on you, dum-dum. He, sa- he asks Halle Berry if they want to go for coffee the next day. Halle Berry says yes because he's Benjamin Bratt and he's essentially handsome in a suit. Alex Bornstein jumps in with some exposition and she says, you know what you should do? You need to wear that leather outfit. Me and that gay guy over there got you for your birthday. And she's like, I'm never going to wear that leather outfit, but I'm glad you gave me some exposition because this is going to make sense a little bit later in the movie. Have you thought about shaving your legs? Maybe slutting it up a little? She does tell her to shave her legs. It was one of, again, one of those things of like a a dude wrote this. And then she tells the broad to shave her legs so her legs are nice and smooth when the man is giving her a proper husbanding. (laughs) She should tell her to go and figure out how to make a nice chicken piccata. I like chicken piccata. And also, tell her to make sure that the television is on my favorite channel. Two or seven. Depends on the night. Are the bills playing? 
What do you mean I gotta cut the scene where she's learning how to make the cake that Detective Lone likes? Is there a way that you could work in a scene that she comes in and cuts her boyfriend's toenails? It's hard for me to cut my toenails. I'd like to have to take my wife to this movie and be able to, you know, give her some ideas. She doesn't listen to me. (laughs) Also, she plays cards. Could you get rid of a lot of her dialogue? I'm really tired of hearing broads yap. Originally, she was a silent character. Ah, those were the days, huh? She would whisper to a man, and he would translate to the audience. It was like a Greek chorus, very ahead of its time. The day at the office passes through some sped up motion capture and Halle Berry, she gets all of her work done by like 10 o'clock and she calls a messenger to take her artwork over to where the hell it's going. But they're like, yeah, there's not one available. So Halle Berry has to drive her own revised work out to the factory where they make all of these cosmetics which doesn't make any sense. In this movie, there's a lot of computer-generated buildings of this nameless city, and they look like video game graphics. They don't look terrible. They just don't look real. The movie feels synthetic, and the wide shots of the city are just inauthentic. Well, I put the moon in every part of the sky, so whenever the catwoman is walking, the, the moon is behind her. That is Peter. And it is always a full moon. It is big. It is in the sky every single night. It is romantic. It will certainly be available in all of my movies. It will become my signature for every movie that I make. (laughs) It is like she is the cat werewolf. These are questions for the screenwriter. How about a scene where she pops a pimple on his back? I've got a lot of bumps back there, and my wife won't even get near them. Uh, Catherine, will you talk to the screenwriter again? He needs you to do the thing with his back. Thank you so much. Okay, Catherine, you are the best. (laughs) Halle Berry goes to this cosmetics factory, and it's all locked up because it's midnight. Nobody's there. Right, and she just busts in. She's just like, well, no one's answering. Best wander in. She goes around the back and just, hey, there's a door ajar. Go go in here. You know, let me just wrap my hand in a towel and punch this window. (laughs) It's like they just left the door open. They put a brick in the ground like, you can get in there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's an emergency brick, clearly. Upstairs in the lab, we get to meet our uh, lead scientist. His name is Dr. Nameless. He's displaying the results of their new product, Buleen, and how it is turning a lovely young woman into Helena Bonham Carter in Act 3 of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. See Season 3, Episode 2 for more on that one. In other words, she's all scarred up and her face looks like an epidermal Pangea. Yeah, she has kind of a fish face. She looks like she's part lizard. You don't want to rub this on your face and end up looking like this late. And Dr. Nameless says, I don't care about the FDA not knowing about the headaches and the pain and the suffering. And I'm not worried about this thing being addictive. It's just, look at her face. It's so gross. Who wants to see that? Am I right, guys? T-Bone up top. Here we go. Boom. (laughs) No, she is uh, horrible. You know, to look at. She's a monster. Her insides are rotten because her face is so bad. (laughs) 
It's here we get the scene that Sharon Stone is the real brains of this operation. And I got a feeling she holds 51% of the shares in this company based on how she was able to shut up George uh, when he was yapping around the inappropriate creative that Halle Berry presented. Halle Berry wanders in to this Acme brand chemical factory, giving it the tried and true, hello? Yeah. Is anyone there? The Joker would have answered, but he's in the vat of chemicals next door. (laughs) She ends up wandering into where Dr. Nameless and Sharon Stone are discussing the cons and cons of letting Buleen onto the public. Halle Berry pulls a real Halle Berry, and then she somehow falls into a bunch of glass beakers, but not before overhearing the sinister plot of selling this product that's going to make, God forbid, women ugly. Truly, the nefarious plot of this film could only be worsened if side effects included involuntary breast reduction and unshavable leg hair. <laughs> yeah, that's the the true horror, Chad. <laughs> I like a, a, a fine winter coat. <laughs> You remember that bus driver in Doubtfire? He tells her that he likes women with unshaved legs. That always gave me the heebie-jeebies. It's yeah, that's a creepy thing to say. I mean, I, like <laughs> politically, I kind of agree with it. Yeah, yeah, women shouldn't have to shave their legs. That's fucked up. It's a, a weird standard of beauty to hold just a fellow human being to. Of just like you, you shouldn't have hair there. I know it's natural, but stop it. But also, if someone is like, I really like it when you just let it go. It's like, you know, you don't want any part of that guy. So it's a fine line as a, as a liberal minded male. It's a fine line to walk, Chad, between no, do what you want. And no, really just let me watch. Send me some pictures of your unshaved legs. Halle Berry runs off and Dr. Nameless calls henchman number one and henchman number two to chase after her and they give pursuit through the cosmetics factory and they're just randomly firing their guns in these rooms full of tubes and pipes without any pause for what could be in them. Maybe gases or chemicals or God forbid sewage. You know, think henchman, think. I think it's the same factory where they made the conclusion of Sharky's machine. Just a bunch of random hallways and chain link. See, season one, episode five for more on that movie um (laughs) one of the greatest movies we ever talked about Halle Berry escapes into this giant pipe, which the henchmen close off, and then they flood with water at the request of Sharon Stone. And Halle Berry runs to the end of the pipe, and she just gets blasted out with a gush of water, the likes of which you would expect to find in your Temples of Doom. And Halle Berry dies. And so we're back where the movie started, sans voiceover. Right, it would have been a little nice, like, see, I told you, this is where I died. Now... Check out the rest of the movie. Shit's about to pop off, y'all. We see Halle Berry's corpse, and it's on the shore. And about 25 just stray cats show up and surround her, including Caddy Purry, who goes over and breathes life into Halle Berry's corpse, essentially doing a reverse Drew Barrymore. It was, she kind of floats into a computer cat's mouth at one point, though, where I was like, what in the fuck is happening in this movie? I don't know what's going on the majority of the time. Not just with this movie, just in life in general. Um, yeah, but you're right. It does reverse cat's eyes, Allie Berry. She has this moment, like her eyes pop open and they go all cat-eyed. And it's like, oh, so she's she's a, like a legit superhero. This, this is the firm break in the Catwoman mythology from like Batman Returns. Because we saw kind of this scene in that movie with Michelle Pfeiffer. And she just wakes up and she's like, now I'm all sexy. And But she wasn't a superhero. 
she just was you know kind of sexy and stole stuff yeah and this one she's just covered up in what i hope is mud because any other possibility is nauseating it's all just cat poop Halle berry's all spastic in her movements and her vision's all whacked out because she's got cat powers now maybe i don't know and then magically we're back in the alleyway behind her house and Halle berry leaps up three stories off of the ground to the fire escape of her home and she looks in the reflection in the window and sees herself covered in this quote mud at this point Halle berry smashes the window open to get inside and i like that none of her neighbors think to call the authorities when a violently loud break-in occurs that's a good neighborhood you know well after all the partying across the alley everybody just kind of keeps to themselves they've probably all had that confrontation the way that she jerks her head around as she's like sensing the world around her through her new feline enhanced senses it just looks stupid and i know it's a choice <laughs> i know that she's like no 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 this is how cats move it's like yeah but sometimes that don't look good in movies she never licks her own asshole to clean herself i was waiting for that to happen <laughs> no but everything short of that like she becomes the human embodiment of a cat she does when she's going back to her apartment before she busts in she is doing this scooby-doo sneaky walk where her hands are like one behind one in front uh-huh. creeping along and the fact that there's no accompanying xylophone Bum. is the only thing that does it this was truly the point in the film where i was like oh my god this movie's really bad not only does she punch through the glass she then breaks out the rest of it to get the job done before entering her fucking home she's got to deal with this the next morning she, she wakes up and she's sleeping up on this high ledge and she looks like she has stepped right off the cover of shape magazine she looks incredible. There is no sign of the late night mud poop face. Uh, her hair is just the embodiment of perfection. This cat not only gave her life, but it really provided her with an innate sense of fashion and style. <laughs> right. Well, because we all know that, you know, cats are narcissistic and that is part of the appeal, I suppose. In spurts, right? Like she she is vacillating between this Jekyll and Hyde personality she has where she's kind of mousy Halle Berry, like when she Morty's out of uh, <laughs> her, her shelf where she was sleeping. <laughs> Meatballs reference, kids. Ask your grandparents. All of that feels like the mousy Halle Berry, but then she has these moments where she's slinking around and stuff because I guess it's the duality of the character and so forth at this point. She's listened to her messages from like Alex Borstein, Sally, who's like, oh, so you got a date coming up. Hope you get laid. Did you shave everything up? And she's like, oh shit, I got a date. And then like right on the heels of that is Benjamin Brett, who's sitting at the coffee shop all by himself. And then he leaves his message where he says, uh, hey, it's me, Benjamin Brad. I'm here at the coffee shop. And hold, hold, hold on a minute. Excuse me. What? What? Oh, yes, it is difficult being this handsome. Thank you. Uh, handsomest man you've ever laid eyes on? Oh, I get that a lot. Man, man, please don't take your top off. You're with your son. No, no, really. You're embarrassing yourself as well as him. You know what? I'll give you a lock of my hair. Just let me finish up this phone call. Okay. Keep your shirt on. All right. Anyway, uh, Halle Berry, I'm off to work as a detective. Uh, just wanted to let you know you probably just blew your chance with Benjamin Bratt. Nope, ma'am. I'm sorry, ma'am. I always said when I had a baby, it would be special. I appreciate the offer. 
Halle Berry's in her apartment and she's all sorts of confused. And then Caddy Purry hops up on the counter and Halle Berry finds a piece of paper hidden in the cat's collar with the name of a crazy cat lady named Ophelia Powers. I want to ask you both, what name do you think they almost chose for her character other than Ophelia Powers? Because I'm going with either Kathy Hero-Maker, uh-huh. Miss Terry Feline. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. Or my third choice was Megan Uacat. <laughs> I spent more time crafting those three names than I did writing all of my notes for this episode. (laughs) And anyone associated with this script thought about it. (laughs) That's gold, sir. Well done. So we make our way to the crazy cat lady's house, which looks just like the home of a crazy cat lady. And Halle Berry shows up with Caddy Purry and the crazy cat lady invites her to come inside, whereupon a baker's dozen of cats show up. This crazy cat lady says that Caddy Purry is an Egyptian Mao and she has special powers. I don't know that you would expect anything less from a crazy cat lady. <laughs> right. Oh, this cat's name is Midnight. Just for the movie, Caddy Purry. We both know the truth. Get off of the couch, Angelicat Houston. You know you're not allowed up there. Cattley Portman. <laughs> oh, shit, those give me. Oh. <laughs> Close the door, or Mioa Jovovich will try to get out. She's an adventurer. <laughs> Meowly Cyrus. You're, you're such a bad influence on Padre Hepburn. Careful not to shit on... <laughs> Careful not to shit on Kate Blancat. She is so prim and proper. Halle Berry refuses the crazy cat lady's offer to help to do whatever this crazy cat lady can do to help her. And as Halle Berry is leaving the crazy cat lady's house, the crazy cat lady tosses Halle Berry a small mesh bag filled with catnip. And Halle Berry catches it and just begins rubbing it all over her face like Kim Cattrall with a jock strap and porkies. Mm, yeah. <laughs> she rubs it all over her face. I mean, she goes really crazy for it. Is there any way that the crazy cat lady could toss her two of those little balls and have her rub them all over her face? (laughs) I came up with this idea in a Russian bathhouse. (laughs) What if two silver balls kept hitting in the face and she just rubbed these two silver I don't know, superhero balls all over her face. Oh, wait, catnip, because she's a fucking cat. This uh, movie is uh, classy. It is sophisticated. I'm not putting two balls on uh, Ali Berry's face. I will put one ball, but make sure that the audience knows it is catnip and that it is not, um, how do you say, testicle. Oh, hey, one silver ball better than none at all, yammy frog. The crazy cat lady watches Halle Berry rubbing this thing all over her face, and she's like, I knew it. You're a cat woman. Let's cut back to Diablo Cosmetics Corp, or whatever the hell this naming company is. George is just lording over Halle Berry about his dismay of her work performance, the way Niedermeyer might respond to spotting a pledge pin on your uniform. 
Yeah. Meanwhile, she's just like a head down on her desk doing some sort of like sightless spirit drawing and or her best Ali Sheedy a la The Breakfast Club impression. <laughs> she looks totally high and what she's doing is drawing this really sweet devil creature on paper. She's still high on the nip. <laughs> Halle Berry stands up to her boss and tells him to piss off and then he fires her and then George the head of this company who just fired someone working in the art department he walks off and then everybody in the art department just starts applauding for Halle Berry being the one to stand up to this asshole or maybe they're just happy that she got fired they're like finally this mousy Debbie Downer is out of here dibs on her desk they're all like hey will you finally go to any model scouting audition anywhere in the city of Catopolis, <laughs> like we keep telling you to do, all you have to do is show them your face. Maybe it's just all of the women that work there applauding, just like, finally, everyone here just went from a three to a nine now that you're not in the room any longer. <laughs> I'm an office eight now. <laughs> The next scene, Alex Bornstein's walking down the street with Halle Berry. She's carrying her box of, you know, shit because she got fired. And uh, she's talking to her friend about how she feels like she has these two personalities. And then they walk past these dogs and the dogs start barking at Halle Berry. And at first I thought maybe these were racist dogs. But then Halle Berry hisses at them and I was like, oh yeah, she's a cat. Because here's the thing, I have a dog and I have a cat and they get along fine. Dogs and cats do not naturally hate each other. It is a learned behavior. Unlike racist dogs, which are just racist from birth. You can't do nothing about a racist dog except move to Vermont or maybe Sweden. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. Like, it can't be learned behavior, right? Like, they're not reading Mein Kampf. Being like, yeah, this Hitler's got a lot of good ideas. Bet I could translate those in my own dog life in a meaningful way through racism. I think Dobermans have an innate sensibility of giving the stink eye to certain races. You look out around them, man. I know. What was that movie, White Dog? Is that that uh, movie about the racist dog? Mm, I thought it was White Man's Burden. I think it's Black Snake Moon. <laughs> it's Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I don't even know what that means. Anyway, that's all stupid. Oh, yeah. After she takes off, there's a point where I was like, why isn't Catwoman cooler in this movie? Like, after she's hissing at the dog and stuff, you're just like, this is all dumb. It's just, it, there, we're doing gags about like, oh, she's a cat. And there's so much of that stupid shit in this movie of like, oh, what would a, a real cat woman be like? And like, she sees this, some treasure in a window, uh, some jewels, and she gets all dollar signs in her eyes. And she's like, ooh, look how shiny and pretty. This is all just terrible. This is depressing me. As soon as you feel depressed, Alex Bornstein just collapses on the street. And you're like, well, what happened there? Did she die? And then we cut to the hospital where Bornstein is wearing a hospital gown. And she's workshopping some stand-up to the orderly that's pushing her in a wheelchair. And Halle Berry, she's like, have you ever noticed when they keep you for observation, nobody ever really observes you? <laughs> Right, this is, you know, the uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel well ahead of time. What's the big deal with having sex in the janitor's closet with your co-workers, am I right, ladies? Why do they call it a period? I would call it an exclamation point. <laughs> That's good, keep that in there. I like the period jokes. <laughs> it sounds like somebody's on the rag. Can you fit that in there? In my movie, it is a classy affair. Um, we will not have jokes about uh, menstruation, abortion, 
um, copulation. Um, what about her fucking her younger doctor? How about that? Uh, define younger. I don't know. Doctor age. A uh, doctor age in my country could be anywhere from 12 to 175. Closer to 12. We are on the metric system. Uh, one year is uh, not the same as it is in America. I beat off. Um, it will all be explained in my upcoming three-part motion picture epic um, entitled um, I Am Here to Stay. Everyone will know my name. Hey, you got a writer for that yet? I got a lot of ideas about Puerto Ricans. <laughs> uh, Alex Bornstein tells Halle Berry that she needs to go fix the thing with Benjamin Bratt. And she says, you need to go give him some brown sugar. Man, look, if I ever use the term brown sugar in reference to anything other than actual brown sugar... I'm pretty sure it's going to be inappropriate. Yeah, unless you are explicitly talking about Rolling Stones music. Yeah, that's maybe that's the one edge case that, that I might be able to get away with. But even yeah. then, people are raising an eyebrow like, careful, careful. I don't agree with the message of the song, <laughs> clearly. I mean, it's about slavery. and <laughs> It's not cool. I'm citing my sources. But Brown Sugar is a song when it hits my ear is fun. At this point, Alex Bornstein says that she has a doctor and he's really hot. She's going to try to get some loving off him. Alex Bornstein's character is kind of that sassy, irreverent, fun sidekick. But I kind of think on the inside, she's just kind of hollow and sad. And in those moments late at night before she falls asleep... She knows that if she ever really finds someone, she's really going to be truly alone in the end. Well, I'm getting older. <laughs> Options are running out, am I right? I just want somebody there at the hospital bed when I go. I'm pretty open. Benjamin Brad is at some elementary school talking to children, giving them this pep talk about not being social deviants. And the first question that this group of kids asks him comes from this blonde haired, blue eyed little girl who's probably the daughter of a film producer. And she says, can I see your gun? And Benjamin Bratt immediately says, well, no. And then the next kid was like, will you shoot it? And he's like, no. And then the next question is, if you think somebody's a cop during a drug deal and you ask them if they're a cop, do they have to legally tell you? And he's like, no. And then one little girl yells out, my dad's a firefighter and he says all cops are corrupt assholes. Why don't cops and firefighters get along? And Benjamin Bratt's like, we just... It's complicated. What is your dad's name? And then this other kid yells out, is it difficult being an openly gay police officer? And he's like, nah, I'm Benjamin Bratt. And despite what you might have heard from that guy in the cube next to Halle Berry, I'm, I'm not gay. And this other kid yells out, follow up to that question. How many times a month do you get a free blowjob from a prostitute? And he's like, hey, hey, kids, you know. Follow up to his question. <laughs> Am I gay if I want to fuck you? Well, that's a common misconception. The answer is no and Yes. <laughs> I didn't ask two questions. Well, you got two answers. You know what? Put one in the bank. It'll earn interest because I'm handsome Benjamin Bratt. How you, <laughs> you let that sit in the old bank for another six years when you're of age. You call me for a withdrawal. <laughs> How old are you? I'm this many. Oh, yeah? Well, call me when you're this many. <laughs> 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 
Halle Berry shows up with a, <laughs> with a cup of not Starbucks coffee with the word sorry written on it. Uh, Halle Berry and Benjamin Bratt, they kind of make up and then they go outside on the blacktop and they play one-on-one basketball where Halle Berry shows off her newfound Catwoman powers and she starts playing with the ball like a cat with a cat toy and then she like dribbles around and bounces off the wall and the kids all ooh and ah. Then we get the infectious beats of Mystique's Scandalous. I love that song. This is like Benjamin Bratt is basically the MC scat cat (laughs) to Halle Berry's Paula Abdul in this scene where they're just grinding all over each other to a funky beat where Halle Berry has received the cat like power to be a globetrotter. I like when he pulls up his shirt and shows off his abs. (laughs) Yeah. Time to wipe my forehead with the bottom of my shirt. Oh, I hope you kids are of age because I just pulled out the six pack. (laughs) Things is getting hot, Caddy Perry. Puma Thurman, have you ever seen anything so erotic in your life? (laughs) Puma Thurman. Our, our scene ends and Halle Berry ends up straddling Benjamin Brad on this blacktop. And you're like, all right, they're going to end up fucking a little later. Let's just go ahead and get to the next scene. Yeah, there's a whole lot of like, they're about to kiss. And you're like, oh, just get it over with. Who gives a shit? We cut back to Oscorp Cosmetics and Sharon Stone is there talking <laughs> with henchman number two. Sharon Stone is brooding over her young female replacement. And then she crushes a drinking glass in her hand. And we see that her hand doesn't bleed which you're like, hmm, that's curious. We go back to Halle Berry in her apartment and she's eating tuna from a can like she's Eunice at the flower shop with a can of chicken noodle soup binge watching a Tic Tac Doe marathon. Swamp Thing callback. Um, <laughs> the, uh, dude, I hate this shit so much in this movie. The, the, all this, because she's a cat woman. Catnip. What else do cats like? Tuna. Be sure she's eating a bunch of tuna. And we come back to this joke again later in a date scene. And you're just like, oh, for the love of fuck, will we just stop all of this? When she orders the drink at the bar, I just want to put my head through the television. I just want to say, we are two-thirds of the way through this movie, and Catwoman has not shown up yet. <laughs> yeah, kind of thank God, though. Once Catwoman does show up, it's like, oh, this somehow got worse. <laughs> I, thought, I thought this was real boring and shitty before. Alex Bornstein calls Halle Berry on the phone, and she's making this call from the nurse's station in the hospital because I'm guessing she doesn't have a phone in her room, which made me think maybe this is a mental hospital and it's a security risk. They they say I'm manic? I don't know what it means, but they said I'm, I'm basically a walking time bomb. I could kill all of us. Yeah, not just me. No, a lot of people. During this scene, Halle Berry is hopping all over the furniture in her apartment like a cat. Oh, God. It's like she's just on MDMA and just cannot stop moving. (laughs) Alex Bornstein tells Halle Berry to keep things up with Benjamin Bratt and that she needs to go get laid with him. And then Alex Bornstein ends the call by hitting on her own doctor, which seems unethical on both sides. We cut to later that evening and Halle Berry is in her apartment and we get a redo of the loud neighbors from earlier. But this time Halle Berry goes out on the fire scrape and she screams, cut that off. And then her, her motorcycle biker neighbor says, get alive. 
Who says that? Suck eggs. Take a long walk of a short pier, Catwoman. Up your nose with a rubber hose. Hell! That really stuck out to me, too. Like, oh, wow, we are hurling around the insults that would be some sick burns in second grade. (laughs) But here as adults, maybe we don't say him so much. Back in my day, we didn't use the profanity. We didn't have to work blue. My Catwoman is not going to be a potty mouth. Halle Berry goes over to the neighbor and she bangs on the door to little effect. And then her eyes flash like cat's eyes. So she just kicks down the door and she jumps up on this wet bar. And then she snatches up the spray gun and squirts one of the music speakers, rendering it broken. Then she squirts the second speaker, rendering it broken. Then she sprays the motorcycle biker guy who's hosting the party. And he must be terribly embarrassed with all of that soda water on him. It looks like he made pee-pee in his pants. He'd be so embarrassed. Halle Berry (laughs) snaps out the hose of the bar spray gun and then she cracks it like a whip and we get some real Indiana Jones sound effects to go along with the snap, which is nice. Makes me think of better movies. Halle Berry leaves the party and then she goes to her closet and she pulls out the leather outfit that was mentioned earlier in the movie so that this scene would make sense now. She goes into her own bathroom and she starts cutting her hair and as noted earlier, her cat powers really gave her a sense of style and fashion, but apparently this also included an advanced cosmetics training including hair design and makeup application because what female superhero wouldn't be complete without the ability to really do a hair and a makeup is that a superpower if so can my wife get it (laughs) i'll tell you if i don't have at least one scene in this movie of her doing her makeup And getting right to go out for a night on the town. I am walking off this set right now, Mr. Pitoff. Her hair will look good. Her face, her body, everything will look... We have to see her doing it. It, it, It's a standard of beauty. I don't want that fruitcake sitting in the cube next to her doing up her do. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I like the idea of women being able to do their own hair. Do you realize how much money that would save me a month if my wife didn't have to go down to the beauty parlor to get her hair done? Ho ho! She gets her nails done every week. Every week. <laughs> In this scene when she cuts her hair, I'm sure it looked really stylish for the year 2004. But through a modern lens, she looks a lot like the Long Island medium. She looks like an uh, an anime character in this movie. The wispy hair that's got almost a jaunty angle to it kind of thing. Or just your divorced aunt. <laughs> Right. I'm about to go to Jamaica. By myself. It is a gift that I am going to provide to me for my birthday. I know my birthday is four and a half months away, but I am going to be 39. I thought you were 42. I'm 39. Again. (laughs) And sometimes you have to just raise a little bit of a patty flag. (laughs) And that's what I've got going up right now. Halle Berry steals her neighbor's motorcycle and then she just speeds through Metropolis or Gotham or Capital City or wherever the hell we are. And she goes back to the jewelry store where she saw the necklace from earlier. And as fate would have it, uh oh, inside there are some real burglars smashing the display cases of this high end jewelry store that clearly has no security system in place of which one can speak. <laughs> Apparently not. Not one, but two people broke in. I think there's like three or four. <laughs> right. There's probably another group that's just waiting these two out. Her motivation for this literally is her saying, time to accessorize. Okay, so you're just going to go steal shit? 
in the comics, <laughs> I'm trying not to do this. In the comics, this made sense because she that's what she was. She was a cat burglar. Why does becoming a cat make you a cat burglar? The only reason they're called cat burglars is because, in theory, they have to be a little more agile to do their burgling. <laughs> it's just one of those things of, like, it's just head-scratching of, like, okay, so not only does she have this incredible agility and this <laughs> incredible fashion sense and whatnot, also, we now have this new urge in her body to thieve. It just, uh, again, it doesn't ever explain itself. And none of this adds up to what we've seen before. I cannot argue that at all. Once she gets inside, Halle Berry gets in and she's wearing this leather outfit and she's wearing a black mask for the first time that I'm assuming she picked up from one of the jewelry cases. They show that. From here on out, I will refer to her character as Catwoman when she's wearing her mask and she will also be Halle Berry when she's not. So Catwoman is perched up on this upper balcony and she says amateurs looking down at the two burglars and then these two burglars look back up at her and she says you two think you could come in here and steal all these beautiful things what a perfect idea and it's it's a real eartha kit delivery but this movie isn't camp and it it feels i don't know strangely out of place but then these two Dumb dumb burglars just unload their shotguns repeatedly in the direction of Catwoman, which, hey, dummies, you're robbing a jewelry store. You're not scaring away a bunch of crows. <laughs> right. And there ain't raccoons in the garbage again. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to do this on the sly. Catwoman disappears because she has disappearing cat powers. And then we get the scene in the movie that is really supposed to introduce us to the superpowers of Catwoman. But it is this scene where, for me, I just gave up all hope for this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's real unfortunate. <laughs> Catwoman flip-flops around and she judo-chops these burglars. And there's a lot of CGI cat-like zip-zopping around. And she's kicking guys in the dick and she's licking their faces. She leaps in the air and body surfs one guy across a polished marble floor. At, at one point, but just before Roundhouse kicking a guy in the head she goes meow oh man i couldn't like i missed part of the scene because my eyes were involuntarily rolling up into my skull <laughs> at all the cat puns no matter like i had to lay down on my stomach to even get a glimpse of the movie it's just not good the cgi doesn't hold up but like you said it, it doesn't come off as camp even though the lines are so bad that the only way that they could be justified is if it's camp but it's not it, it, it's too straight laced to be true camp you know like you need john waters to show up in a role somewhere uh to, to convince me that this movie's campy it's just <laughs> shitty and and yeah this cartoon Halle berry that we see jumping around a bunch it is a really good video game likeness of Catwoman. It's not movie quality. This is 10 years after Jurassic Park, and this is what we got. It's like four weeks after Spider-Man 2. Again, the unfortunate timing of it, of like, oh wow, one of the best superhero movies that ever was opens, and then this comes out, and so fundamentally misunderstands the character and what makes a superhero movie. Or just a movie. Not even a superhero movie, Chad. Let's not be genre-specific. There's just a bunch of shit that happens in this movie that never pays off. Like, what about this model rival that we see all through the movie? Shouldn't Sharon Stone, like, try to kill her or something? Nope, nope. She shows up in one scene, walks out of the movie. That's it. 
this movie infuriates me sometimes. <laughs> it is so ill-conceived. It like Return of Swamp Thing was kind of hilariously bad. This one doesn't even have the cool explosions. It's just wall-to-wall shit. You know, Cat Gaiman, he's really passionate about movies. <laughs> <laughs> You tell Cat David, ask him to watch this movie. What does your friend Catrick Swayze think about all of this? Oh, I've got to feed you guys. You guys look so hungry. Cat Damon and, and Ben Catfleck. <laughs> Fuzz Aldrin, get down off those shelves. Oh, he likes to climb. He's a climber. He wants to go to the moon. Fuzz Aldrin, you silly, silly cat. Hallie Berry wakes up the next day on the floor of her apartment, and her bed is covered in stolen jewels. So she puts them all in a paper bag, except for the big expensive necklace that has these diamond-crusted cones that are suitable for wearing on your fingertips. This is the the necklace she saw in the display window when she walked by. Back at the jewelry store, Benjamin Bratt is on the case because he is the only officer in this movie. He covers every crime that happens. <laughs> any time of day, any day of the week, you call Benjamin I'll come a-running. Handsome's on call 24-7, 365. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And I'm always hot. (laughs) There's so much smoke coming out of my pants, you'd swear my pubic hair was on fire. Good God. Um... <laughs> it's at the jewelry store that Benjamin Bratt learns that the fancy necklace that was stolen uh, by Halle Berry was one of a kind, and it's from Egypt, where they really like cats. And then, as Benjamin Bratt is walking around detecting in the store, there are these two other faceless cops that we overhear saying, I said she jumps around like a cat. And then another guy says, like, Well, what should we call her? As if these two idiots' jobs to come up with nicknames for criminals. And then the first guy's like, How about cat broad and then the other guy's like hey what about cat chick which i'm sitting i thinking like thank god they didn't go down the pussy galore path like what are you two idiots doing shouldn't you be working i literally had this conversation with Petoff where we were thinking hey what if we don't even call it Catwoman? what if we call it cat gams <laughs> cat knockers cat va 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 voom <laughs> What if she makes them some cupcakes, we said. Oh, we got that covered. Because Benjamin (laughs) Brad and this nameless detective wander to the front and they find a paper bag that's filled with the jewels that Halle Berry left there. And on the front, there is handwriting that says, sorry. And it's written in the same, you know, handwriting that was on the coffee cup. So we call that the uh, Canadian hello, Chad. (laughs) Sorry. You know, if I'm Benjamin Brad, I'm immediately thinking, I know who the prime suspect is. It's the barista who made Halle Berry's coffee to the coffee shop. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And there's a box of six cupcakes for some unknown reason. Like, why is this here? Well, that's not nearly enough for the team we've got here. Uh, (laughs) Certainly not going halfsies on a cupcake around this crowd of vultures. We cut to Halle Berry and she's doing a 2004 Google search on cats. And we get a reprieve of the opening credit sequence with a bunch of catty purry showing up and these poorly photoshopped images. As she's looking through the Googles for all, all the cat pictures, at one point it's like she just Googles women in masks with cats. 
because that's all the pictures for a little while. And also, Chad, the reason I have to clear my browser history. Halle Berry gets back to the crazy cat lady's house. Crazy cat lady shows Halle Berry some more cat books and explains that she was a professor for 20 years, but was denied tenure because of male academia. And then Halle Berry gives her this look of, yeah, I'm sure that's why you didn't get tenure. Cuckoo, cuckoo. They didn't accept my lesson plans for three whole semesters of cat history. I was going to bring in a parade of stars. I wanted to do a series based on cats in cinema, including Mr. Miyagi and Luke Skywhisker. But they told me no. And I said, how about if I do a series based on the great cats in literature, including... The Great Catsby or William Shakespeare. And they all told me, you're a crazy cat lady. And I said, I know. And then they told me to get off of campus. You're never going to have tenure. I said, make me. And they called security. (laughs) And that is the heroic tale of Ophelia Featherbottom or whatever. So this crazy cat lady explains that cats gave Halle Berry superpowers when she died. Yeah, it's all this story of Bast, uh, like we saw earlier in the credits. But it's all, she's like, well, Bast was the goddess of the moon and the sun. And it represents the duality of women, of the meek feminine type and then the strong woman. Because that's, that's what broads are. You're either in the kitchen or you're Rosie the Riveter. You remember her? During this conversation of how Halle Berry got her powers, the crazy cat lady just pushes Halle Berry off of this second story balcony in her house, which has a breakaway banister, clearly a safety hazard in any (laughs) residential setting. And Halle Berry falls to the floor below, but she lands on her hands and her feet because she's a cat woman. So crazy cat lady tells Halle Berry, hey, you're a cat woman and you have powers now that you're a cat woman and you're often going to be misunderstood but you're going to be fiercely independent and you can be both Halle Berry and Catwoman all rolled into one. So you can have it all. Also, there's a special surprise, Catwoman. Here's a mask. So it's not weird. (laughs) She gives her this headdress for her cat adventures. Yeah. (laughs) This will serve you well. By making you look kind of like a mouse. We get to see uh, Halle Berry and Catty Purry up on this roof of a building. And Halle Berry tells this cat that she's going to figure out who killed her. <laughs> yeah. Here's my motivation, Catty Purry. That's the movie's wrapping up. <laughs> right. We got we to gotta do something eventually. <laughs> We've been kind of digging around for a while, quite frankly. Let's uh, see what happens. <laughs> we cut to Catwoman and she's wearing these bell-bottom leather pants that accompany the now infamous super sexy dominatrix Catwoman outfit. And I have always thought that this Catwoman outfit looked silly just because (laughs) it's incredibly distracting. It's so over the top that when you look at her, that's kind of all you see is the costume and you really can't pay attention to anything else that she's saying or doing. Right, well, like I... (laughs) intimated uh, a moment ago like the ears are kind of big on this mask which gives it this weird proportion and then because you know how much can we show 
Um, you know, it it is. It's very it's bondagey and weird, but you know, it's Halle Berry, so there's a sexy component to it. But when it's on screen, that's again, like you said, it's you're just like wrapping your head around it. Of like, I mean, I mean, she got paid twelve million dollars for this, so that I guess that's cool. But also, this seems objectifying, and also I'm aroused, but also that seems weird. And then there's the whip. And maybe I just need to call someone. (laughs) In this next scene, we get some really nice early 2000 CGI of Catwoman hopping across the rooftops that looks a lot like Benicio del Toro in The Wolfman. See season three, episode six for more on that one. Um, (laughs) During her flip flopping around, Catwoman sees henchman number one, and she has a flashback of him shooting at her in the pipe tunnels of Gotham makeup factory. Catwoman tracks henchman number one to what, you know, looks like a nightclub. She walks through a couple of like big containers, like those flatbed truck. Yeah. Just big shipping containers. Yeah. Walks through those to get to the secret nightclub or whatever? Is it is it supposed to be secret? I thought that at first, but then it's on a street, so it ain't that secret. But how many times have you driven through an area with big cargo containers sitting around and thought, I'm really in a nice place. They should put a club here. Uh, no, every time I've ever done that, I'm like... Is this where we're supposed to meet the guy? <laughs> right. No, it's like, I got to turn around. I, I, I'm, I took a wrong turn. <laughs> I'm in an area of town where business and shady shit goes on. And I am interested in neither. Catwoman follows this guy into the bar and she goes up to the actual bar and she orders a white Russian without the vodka or the Kahlua. <laughs> it is the single worst thing in this movie to me. This line where she's, I'll have a white Russian hold the vodka and the Kahlua and the ice. And the guy's like, so cream? And she's like, uh-huh. He's <laughs> like, why didn't you just say that then? Why did we have to do a fucking song and dance about you want some cream? You know, you can just order that. You don't have to do a white Russian minus stuff. Just tell me the thing you want. Oh, really? So we're being direct. Well, then how about this? A box and some sand. Because I got a shit. Catwoman starts dancing around in this club. And then she pulls out her whip and she starts cracking it. And then henchman number one gets all excited. And Catwoman proceeds to, you know, saunter over to him to get him all, you know, hubba hubba up. And then she immediately, she just takes him out in the back alley and beats the shit out of him. How does she fight him? What if she just does a sexy dance? After she clocks him a few times, he confesses. He's like, hey, hey, I don't know. All I did was flush the pipes to kill you. You know, I I wasn't the one who gave the order. So... Catwoman's like, all right, all right, I'll I'll go after, you know, Sharon Stone and her husband, George. So we cut to Catwoman at the cosmetics factory and she goes inside and she sees Dr. No Name and he's dead. And she gets a flashback where she remembered hearing about the fact that this cosmetic caused, you know, women to become ugly. And then a janitor who looks a lot like Anthony Edwards sees Catwoman standing over the corpse of Dr. No Name. And then he runs off to get the authorities. So Catwoman's like, Nyk. So she disappears. (laughs) Yeah. Cheese it. It's the cops. (laughs) And then Halle Berry, fresh from visiting Ann Taylor in a blowout bar, enters into Bornstein's hospital room, showing off this new hairdo. On the news, on the TV, Catwoman sees that she's a suspect in Dr. No Name's murder. Then George is on the news saying, we are going to bring Buleen to the public because we owe this to the ugly women of the world. Yeah, this is really stupid. <laughs> First of all, how many times have you been watching a news report about a murder and they let the the guy who runs the business come on just to... Uh, 
rest assured everyone our product launch will go ahead as planned yeah why the fuck wouldn't it (laughs) how many people were like dr no name is dead well my faith in the company is gone some (laughs) random employee whose name i've never heard uh all right so yeah we go back to police headquarters and benjamin brad is there and he's got the sorry bag and the coffee cup that says, sorry. And he realizes that they are the same handwriting. So he takes the cup in the bag over to this handwriting analysis guy within police headquarters. And this dude spouts off just a geyser of bullshit about what all of this handwriting means. I'm not even going to dignify it with snarky remarks. It's just 100% grade A horseshit. Yeah, that, where we come to is he, Benjamin Brad says, so these uh, sorries are written by different ladies, you're telling me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, two totally different women. He's like, well, all right, I've got a green light for some carnival action. (laughs) Because sure enough, Benjamin Bratt has all the moves and takes her to a fair. It's one of those traveling carnivals that just sort of pops up overnight when terrible storms are in the area. Yeah, where the solution is, throw another sandbag on it. It'll hold. (laughs) Yeah, these two get on the Ferris wheel, which is the scene that let you realize you'd never seen this before. They get to the top of the Ferris wheel, and then this thing breaks down. Surprise, surprise. The gears start grinding, and smoke starts coming out. And Halle Berry and Benjamin Brad are like, well, this seems pretty much par for the course. And then some kid down below just starts yelling out like, help, help, I'm in trouble. I'm like, help, <laughs> I'm in trouble. If only, if only. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl was the kid this. During the suspense of this carnival ride breakdown, Benjamin Bratt says, like, you know, this situation calls for some seriously handsome heroics to stop this thing. But the Ferris wheel has already stopped. I'm not sure what he's going to do. And then Halle Berry leaps into action and she's Catwoman's down and catches this kid who's fallen from his seat. Benjamin Bratt shimmies his way down to uh, the actual ground to stop the Ferris wheel, which has already stopped. And I don't know what he does. He just kind of grabs this oversized wrench and jams it into the gears, which hell, for all he knows, this might make the thing spin out of control. Right. It could explode. He's that professional and Lenny at the helm of the ride is, you know, barely sober after this Halle Berry refuses a dinner date with Benjamin Bratt opting instead to head over to Sharon Stone and George's house uh, dressed up as Catwoman so Catwoman makes her way over to the house and she gets inside undetected by using the diamond tip finger cones that cut out the open window and once she's inside Sharon Stone just clocks Catwoman across the head with a golf club it's pretty good <laughs> yeah my favorite part of this movie is that Halle Berry who I have no ill will towards don't get me wrong it's just so little happens in this movie movie that's interesting that Catwoman getting hit in the fucking head with a golf club is pretty great it's pretty much at the peak of the film these two beat each other up and then they fall down a staircase and then they scrap a little it is not I hate to say it a cat fight in this scene Catwoman asks Sharon Stone she's like hey I want to know where your husband is and Sharon Stone says uh he's at some low rent Cirque du Soleil performance but uh let me give you a, a burner phone and I'll call you if something comes up so Catwoman's like hey this sounds like a plan man we're you know simpatico you and me buddies amigos (laughs) this could never go wrong (laughs) catwoman uh, dashes off to the theater and security there sees her breaking in so you know they're wise to what's going on and it's a real like hey control this is teddy you're not gonna believe this (laughs) am i right calling all cars calling all cars ufo on michigan avenue (laughs) 
All of our references like fall within like a 26 year period. I all well, yeah, of course, because after a certain point, you just stop learning stuff. But I almost made a running scared reference earlier. <laughs> it, it was when we were talking about uh, Benjamin Bratt kicking in the door. I'm like, yeah, it's got real cheese ball locks. You can just push your way right in. <laughs> I wish you had. I thought about it. I was like, no, nah, it's been, we've been, have we been going to the running scared well too often? I don't think so. I, is there such a thing? No, there's not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so finally, we get to see this model that we've been seeing pictures of all through the film in the flesh because George is at not the opera, it's like the neon opera where they just play a, a bunch of synth music and shit, and everything's very stylish because Pitoff loves some style. When he is at the theater, there will be flying octopus and there will be a jellyfish. And people will be taking it in. It will be very magical. It will be very uh, transportive. Um, everyone will love it. I said, fuck Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> I got a better idea. <laughs> yeah, this girlfriend just fucks off. She's just like, I'm out of here. Well, George is like, hey. Uh, she's like, I don't like this. Let's go do something else. I don't think this is very good. And he goes, see, that is your problem. You are thinking. Don't do that. And she's like, hey, you're an asshole. I'm gone. Rightfully so. And so she leaves. Then the Catwoman just magically appears in the model seat uh, because she's crazy good at climbing, I guess, and appears there. And he's like, oh, what are you doing here, Catwoman? And she smacks him and gives him a little scratch. She gives him a, a little bit of interrogation, but he says, look, I didn't kill anybody. I don't know anything. Then the cops show up and chase Catwoman and she runs away again. And and so we've accomplished nothing in this scene. No. <laughs> now we get to have a big chase sequence and another flirt fight between Catwoman and Hunky McDetective. Yeah, she and Benjamin Bratt end up on the catwalk. They kind of tangle a little bit. She ends up saving him so he doesn't fall to his death. And then in this scene, Catwoman kisses Benjamin Bratt's face with her bright red lipstick. And then Catwoman basically just escapes. Well, yeah, she uses a live wire, jams it in some electrical thingamawatsits. And it, she's like, hey, hey, who can see in the dark? And then she fries the electrical panel and the lights go out. And then you hear her say, I can done and then she's gone and it happens a couple of times in the movie where it's just like because i'm Catwoman. cut to her getting away like she's just uh, has escaped danger and it's like hey you know what would be cool in an action movie to see her actually getting away in the next scene george is on the phone he's talking with who knows who cares about how Catwoman has info on how Bulleen is killing people and then sharon stone shows up and she mouths off to george and then george gives her a taste of the back of his hand and he kind of cracks Sharon Stone across the face, but it turns out her head is made of like hardened stone because she's been slathering herself up with this toxic chemical. The perfect lady, am I right, boys? <laughs> A woman that don't get hurt when you give them one. We come back to Halle Berry and Alex Bornstein. Bornstein's providing Halle Berry with advice on how she should date Benjamin Bratt. Then we cut back over to Sharon Stone's mansion and she's slathering up her neck with this beauty cream. Then we go back to Halle Berry and Benjamin Bratt and they're at dinner and this is where Halle Berry just starts scarfing down sushi because she's a 
Catwoman. <laughs> right. Oh, shut up, movie. And then Benjamin Bratt starts in- interrogating her in this cryptic language about he's tracking Catwoman and what does she know or what does she doesn't know. And then these two head out on the street and it's here that Halle Berry almost tells Benjamin Bratt that she's Catwoman, but then it starts to rain, so they scamper off. Because she hates rain because she's a fucking Catwoman, Chad. Let's not forget that. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Shit. Man, that makes sense now. (laughs) These two end up going back to Halle Berry's house to have sex. And then in the middle of the night, Benjamin Bratt gets up to go get a drink of some product place, delicious uh, Densani water, the official water of Catwoman, the motion picture. And then on his way back to bed, he steps on one of those little diamond crusted finger crones. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. She's poor. Why would she have this? I'll bet she stole it, you know, because he's a detective. (laughs) <laughs> right and in fairness he's a better detective than batman was <laughs> shit that ain't hard no <laughs> if you can observe your surroundings <laughs> he takes a glass from which she has had a drink and then he just leaves in the middle of the night because it has her lip print on the glass he's like i got some detecting to do sharon stone then calls Halle berry on her burner phone and she says hey george is gonna launch buleen we gotta stop this guy get over here uh Halle berry's like oh i gotta put on my Catwoman outfit i gotta head over there and take care of this problem we go back to the make em up science lab at police hq and this fake science person matches the kiss that was on benjamin bratt's face uh with the red lipstick that Catwoman left and the lip mark on the glass with 99.9% accuracy match rate, which that is pretty good, Bo. So you're saying there's a chance she isn't Catwoman. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, we'll have to see how this turns out. Uh, <laughs> like, again, it's one of those things where there's no suspense in any of this because the audience has known all along and blah, blah, blah. And, and so then we catch up to Catwoman who is slipping into the whatever the fuck the name of the estate is. There's actually kind of a nice moment here where Sharon Stone is talking to Catwoman about being disposable. You know, like you turn 40 and they throw you away. And there's actually a pretty good opportunity here for an aging actress to talk about being an aging actress through the film. Like if this movie were a lot smarter, this would be a, a much more competitive scene and again it's one of those glimpses of like oh yeah this movie could have gone a different way where this was actually this interesting kind of sympathetic character instead of just this sneering villain no it doesn't do any of that yeah i know it, I, <laughs> I know it's fan fiction i know i just keep i can't with this movie in particular it's hard not to be like no this could have been okay no sharon stone just says hey go in there there's something you got to see and catwoman walks in and george is dead shot with multiple bullets and scratched up with cat claw marks and sharon stone's like well i'm gonna set off security you're fucked catwoman's like oh i gotta get out of here so then the cops show up and security shows up and who's leading the charge but benjamin bratt because man look he has got a heavy caseload (laughs) right well any hour of day or night no matter what the crime is wherever wherever there's a lady screaming benjamin bratt is there (laughs) calling out in pleasure or pain or a delicious blend of the two (laughs) benjamin bratt is there oh she's got a whip you say well 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 bb says yes yes (laughs) on our way out 
<laughs> Catwoman steals some of Sharon Stone's clothes, and then off she goes onto the city streets. Right again, she just gets away. She changes like you see her like pull the clothes out of a wardrobe or something. Cut to her a mile and a half away with cops rolling by. It's like you were just in the building, and there were cops coming in the door. What this could have been fun, and instead it's just like no, no. Let's cut away. You don't need to see all the excitement. No reason to get worked up. <laughs> You leave it to the imagination. It is like a theater of the mind. That's for radio, Frenchie. Right. And then she got away two hours later. <laughs> Halle Berry <laughs> arrives at her apartment to find Benjamin Bratt waiting for her with his gun drawn. And then he arrests her and takes her downtown for interrogation. And back at the interrogation room, Benjamin Bratt is the one interviewing Halle Berry as she's kind of pleading her case like, it wasn't me, I didn't do this. Which, wouldn't internal affairs be involved if they knew that the night before all of this, that Benjamin Bratt was having sex with this woman? Or hell, at the very least, that the two of them were kind of dating? Boy, you'd really think that, but the truth is I just have sex with so many women, it's impossible but trust me i can separate work from pleasure because i'm always on the line of pleasure Halle Berry gets tossed in the slammer mammer and this guard tells her to be a nice kitty and she hisses at him but then <laughs> catty purry shows up and shimmies through the bars that lead to this jail cell which is she in some kind of old west prison that has open bars to the outside world dude we'll get into it but <laughs> The rules of this jail seem pretty lax. Like, not since Otis the Drunk has there been a more come as you please kind of quality to law enforcement. During this scene, Halle Berry hears some voices in her head of the crazy cat lady, which, look, man, that's the first sign of turning into a crazy cat lady. <laughs> and with the inspiration of uh, Caddy Purry, Halle Berry shimmies through her own jail bars, which that was easy. Well, and then she gives the cat shit. She's like, you know, hey, Caddy Purry, next time just bring a key. And meanwhile, we've got Benjamin Bratt, like he's going over the evidence because uh, Halle Berry gave him this impassioned plea of like, y yes, I know all the evidence is stacked against me and there is no reason in a million years to believe that it's anyone but me, but believe me. And so he's going through the evidence and he has a look on his face that's like, I'm not convinced. Or maybe I'm just over-convinced that I want on that booty. <laughs> Hard to say either way. BB is going to see how this one plays out. So after she just goes through the bars of her jail cell. Uh-huh. <sighs> High fives like the duty guard. Hey, can I get my keys? Oh, yeah, here you go, Mrs. Catwoman. You mu you're out the cell. You must be free to go. Have a good night. Sorry about the inconvenience. She makes her way with a little bit of stealth, like hither and yon, and she kind of uses some disappearing cat magic at one point to go from one place to another. But then she makes her way over to an open window and just jumps out of it, and she falls five stories to the ground, where she lands on her feet without being dead, just as a Jaguar automobile screeches to a halt, which doesn't hit her miraculously. It only kind of bumps up against her ass. And then the driver gets out. He's like, oh my God, are you okay? And then Halle Berry just steals his car. So thanks for nothing. <laughs> right. And she gives like, it's a Jaguar because of course it is. Because this movie, what kind of car would Catwoman drive? How about a Jaguar? How about a big yellow cat dump truck 
Something that could, has tires that are like 14 feet tall. It says cat on the side of it. She's Catwoman, for Christ's sake. <laughs> After she drives off, we cut to Sharon Stone holding a press conference, which is this press conference the same night that her husband was murdered? Yes, I assume so. And also, is it a secret makeup meeting? Again, this looks like another model situation room where I'm like, was this facility just at the ready? This seems like a lot of production value went into this. And she's also like, I want to continue my husband's work. And they're like, your husband's dead? When did this happen? <laughs> Weren't you watching the news? During this impromptu meeting that Sharon Stone is holding, Benjamin Bratt shows up uh, again on the same day that he just was at her house arresting her husband's alleged killer. Um, we come back to Toxic Youth Brand Makeup Corp and Catwoman is now loudly wrapping chains around the axles <laughs> of multiple 18-wheelers that are set to go deliver Beulah lean and then the first truck drives off and just rips the wheels off of all the other trucks and it turns out the Catwoman's driving so you know good for her <laughs> right eastbound and down is playing and <laughs> benjamin pratt is now interviewing sharon stone and he's treating her like a suspect and during their conversation benjamin pratt uses the worst reverse psychology to trap sharon stone into kind of confessing but more to the point he convinces sharon stone that she did confess so Sharon Stone shoots Benjamin Bratt. I don't even understand what Benjamin Bratt is trying to accomplish here with his ninja psychology of Sharon Stone in this scene. Other than now she sees you as a threat and you now suspect her of murdering at least one person, if not two. I like that Benjamin Bratt doesn't really respond the way that one would after being shot. He's completely cool about it. He's like, oh, ow, that hurts. And that is gonna leave a scar. Women love men with scars. It makes us mysterious, and even more so if you're handsome like me. I'll tell you what, I have a name for all my scars. I think that one will be Lando Calrissian. <laughs> Before Sharon Stone can shoot Benjamin Bratt in his beautiful face that's attached to his head, Catwoman shows up and she whips the gun out of Sharon Stone's hand. As Catwoman and Benjamin Bratt escape, Benjamin Bratt apologizes to Catwoman for the way that he treated Halle Berry earlier. And then henchman number one and henchman number two show up to give chase. And then Sharon Stone follows them as well. And Catwoman uses some of her stealth to take out henchman number two. But more importantly, Benjamin Bratt with a fresh gunshot wound to the shoulder, he just knocks out henchman number one on the head. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, well, part of it was that the henchman was just so stunned by the beauty <laughs> of his assailant. Oh my God. Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the other end of the bell curve for medusa you know <laughs> right it's yeah it stuns equally in our finale catwoman is now dressed all in black and sharon stone is dressed all in white and the two of them do some hand-to-hand -hand battle in this warehouse filled with all of the old pictures of sharon stone that were taken down you know because she was an old hag it's also scored by every rejected guitar riff from guns and roses just <laughs> I'm like oh can we stop during the fight catwoman admits that she is really halle berry during the fight scene sharon stone says that she is indestructible and that by using buline over and over it turns your skin into living marble which at first i thought hey that would be really good to put on your dick and then she immediately says but you can't really feel a thing so strike that yeah, yeah it's like the world's worst condom <laughs> 
<laughs> Sharon Stone uh, stabs Catwoman in the leg with a piece of broken glass that shows up during the melee. Then Sharon Stone just starts beating the shit out of Catwoman with this large pipe. And then she <laughs> yeah. takes her over to this glass window and smashes it open. And Catwoman is against the ropes. I mean, she's like, you know, she's lost her, her mojo. They're like 20 stories up in the air off the ground. But then out of nowhere, Catwoman gets her second wind and she states, it's overtime. I don't fucking understand any of that. And then- <laughs> it's, Catwoman is the worst quipper of all superheroes. It's all cat puns or just non sequiturs, you know? <laughs> Time to take out the dishes. Time to punch the penguin. <laughs> Zip it up and zip it out <laughs> yes. what the hell is she talking about <laughs> zippity doo dot you Catwoman uses her whip a whole lot and she slaps Sharon Stone around and then Catwoman hops all over the place and then in the end she scratches Sharon Stone's indestructible marble face which as it turns out is actually destructible he bleeds Sharon Stone's face is all jacked up and she tumbles out of the window that Sharon Stone herself smashed open with that pipe. But on her way out, she grabs this metal bar that's kind of hanging outside the building. Um, As Sharon Stone is dangling, she looks over and sees her reflection and uh, is able to see how jacked up her face is after being scratched. And she ignores Catwoman's offer to take my hand and thus save her life. Even though Catwoman, let's be honest, was the one who just kicked her out of the window. So... Why are you saving her if you were trying to kill her in the first place? Yeah, it's complicated. I don't know. Sharon Stone lets go of the bar that she's holding on to, and a dummy dressed up to look like Sharon Stone tumbles head over toenails down to the ground. And this high-rise dummy fall is only bested by the dummy drop in the finale of Sharky's Machine. See season one, episode five for more on that movie. And am I the only one who really wanted to hear Catwoman say, "'Twas beauty that killed the beast." Oh, that's far too clever for this film. Is it? Yeah. It really is. Maybe Sharon Stone should have just yelled out as she as she fell, "You're a pussy." Thunk. That would have been closer to the mark or, you know, <laughs> Catwoman saying like, "Well, only one of us lands on her feet." <laughs> Benjamin Bratt walks over and he was like, hey, henchman number one and number two are going to say they saw Catwoman. And if Halle Berry gets back to the jail cell, then we can prove that Halle Berry isn't Catwoman and Halle Berry won't go to jail for crimes Catwoman committed. So I'm like, okay, I see where this is going. Trust me, I know it's been hours, but those guys don't pay attention at all. You are safe and sound we cut to dead sharon stone we then see that alex bornstein is out of the hospital and she's apparently having sex with the doctor we saw earlier he's feeding her strawberries it seems highly unethical right it's one of those things of like did this start while she was under sedation We get a shot of crazy cat lady at her house and she receives a painting from Halle Berry. And then finally, Benjamin Bratt gets a Dear John letter and he gets stood up for a second time at the coffee shop. And to put a final button on this film, we see Catwoman in her leather outfit, walking the rooftops, talking about how she's a loner Dottie, she's a rebel, and her journey has just begun. After you put in all that time and I clearly was into you, we're only going to ever have fucked that one time. You just need to start wrapping your head around that right now, that you get one bite at the Catwoman apple and that's it for Benjamin Bratt. I think he is speaking of landing on your feet. <laughs> all right. I guess I'll put this letter right beside the others. Hey, 
that waitress is pretty cute if I just slightly glance at her. Oh, there she is, coming this way. <laughs> and that's Catwoman. <laughs> it's not very good. I, I don't know that it's necessarily as bad as the critics claimed it was when it originally came out. I think that it is truly a victim of context of what audiences expected what the core fan base wanted from a Catwoman movie. This doesn't feel like that at all, but I've seen worse. No, I don't think it's the worst movie we're going to talk about uh, by a stretch, but the biggest problem of Catwoman is it's kind of a big nothing of a movie that the characters aren't great. They're not very memorable. The effects are bad. There's not any interesting action in the movie. The villain's not very compelling or villainous even. It's like her big crime is like she killed two dudes that were kind of dicks yeah it's just it's a real (laughs) fart of a movie i think there's a real good catwoman movie to be made i think that we probably live in a world where that movie could still be made before too awful long i'm kind of surprised that uh there hasn't been more of an effort quite frankly Uh, it's interesting but we've got other films to look forward to chad we have one more movie to look forward to in this season yeah it's it's finale time it's coming together coming together like a, a a crack team of misfits chad because that is where we will finish uh season five of pig six movies with the misbegotten suicide squad and have you have you seen this one once it's as bad as you remember if not worse i am excited to talk about it because i for one think it is hysterical come back next week for the season finale of the old men and dc we promise it will be a good time as always like rate review tell a friend bo we will be back in one week's time to talk about suicide squad and wrap up this particular season all right pudding <laughs> beat off <laughs>